and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 45th episode of the podcast for the week of March 18th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm, as always, so happy to welcome back a DC area-based astrologer, interior designer, and yoga instructor, Jack Marsh, to join me on a discussion on the Aries ingress. So we're going to be looking at the mundane aspects of the Aries ingress from more of maybe a a country and a political stance. So now before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today, and if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access for as little as $1 per month, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. I also have a tip jar on the front page of my website over at energeticprinciples.com if you feel like contributing that way. So let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady is waxing towards maximum brightness as she starts out the week in the tail end of fiery Leo before moving into the discerning earth sign of Virgo Monday evening. She hangs out in this hyper-aware space of reality until Wednesday evening when she moves into Libra and then makes a near-immediate full moon opposition with a newly ingressed sun in Aries. She then begins her waning cycle as she hangs out in this balancing air sign until moving into the passionate waters of Scorpio late on Friday, and where she will remain throughout the rest of the weekend. So just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, add about eight hours, and if you are in Australia or the East, add about 17 hours, or basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise, as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. All right, my friends. Well, we have big energy, big shifts happening this week, uh, especially since we have our vernal spring, at least here in the northern atmosphere, equinox uh, as the sun moves into Aries. And right as the sun moves into Aries and we have our Aries ingress, we have an immediate full moon in Libra, which is part one of two that will be uh, coming around for the next full moon. We also have Venus in a tense configuration with Mars, and Mars is flowing with Transformer Pluto. Uh, So there is energy there as well. And Mercury makes yet another conjunction with Neptune for the second, but not last time. (laughs) Um, So it's bound to be an impactful week. 
Now, just a quick note, I will be off air next week, um, but I will be back on the 1st of April, on April's Fool's Day. Uh, but I figured I would take a little time off while we still had this retrograde um, in my personal fifth house. So I just want to have a little fun. So um, I'm sure you'll fare just fine without me. Uh, but I will be back April 1st. All right, so we have plenty to talk about this week, so let's not waste any time and dive right in. On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Leo, and she will move to Virgo around uh, evening time here in the U.S. And along the way, she'll make an opposition to Venus, a square to Mars, a trine to Jupiter, and then later in the day, she'll make a trying to Uranus. And so we don't have any aspects perfecting that day. So the bottom line for Monday is, is that there may be some early tension from Venus, from the Venus-Mars square that is going to be coming up later this week, um, because that's showing up as far as the moon contacts uh, early Monday morning. So, you know, you might want to watch for tension within relations and harmony, or, or perhaps pay attention to any dreams, um, as they may highlight where the heart is in need of union. Uh, because we might get almost like a dream tip-off to what's coming down later in the week on Monday morning. Now, most of the day, we are still in the fires of Leo, moving at a faster pace and finding inspiration within what lights us up. But then the moon's going to move into Virgo in the evening, uh, and it's going to slow things down a bit while also bringing in a retiring vibe. And so Virgo likes the nuts and bolts of things, so we may be mulling over problems that are in need of solving. And luckily, that Uranus trine may intuitively flow down just the answer you've been searching for. And as being an earth science, it could be a very practical one. Now, on Tuesday, the moon is in Virgo, uh, and the only aspect she will make is an opposition to Neptune uh, later in the evening or nighttime. Um, and same as Monday, we don't have any aspects perfecting. So the bottom line is, is that Luna is waxing further towards tomorrow's full moon position. And we are at the 29 deg- critical degree of Pisces with the sun about to move into Aries. So there, you know, we're kind of in this tested space, really. Uh, so there may be some anxiety present today, especially with Neptune lowering our energy and potentially bringing uh, maybe some doubt or some uncertainty our way. Um, it's a great time because this is like a, with the uh, aligned with the fixed star sheet. So, you know, think out of the box today, especially with that Virgo moon. Try to come up with things, um, you know, just looking at things or feeling things differently because it, it, that might really work in our favor right now. Now, we may have to deal with some uh, difficult relational situations where there is some confusion or maybe a lack of clarity as that opposition to Neptune arises. And it's quite possible if we feel overwhelmed, we may just desire to retreat in some way once the day is done. Overall, though, I think we are likely to be taking care of the little things that need attention while the moon is in Virgo, as this energy helps us to be hyper-aware and more critical um, with our approach. This could be a great day to clean things out of your space, and you may find that rather therapeutic uh, on a day like today. So clean it up. Get Marie Kondo on it if if you feel the need. Now, Wednesday, we have the moon still in Virgo, and then she will make our full moon in Libra, like right as she moves into Libra. And along the way, she's going to try and Saturn, oppose Mercury, try and Pluto and Mars, square Jupiter, and then oppose the sun. And then the same day, we have Mars trining Jupiter, or excuse me, Mars trining Pluto, <laughs> 
definitely a different type of energy. Uh, we have Mercury retrograde sextile Saturn. We have the sun ingressing in Aries, and we have that full moon. So you can tell by the laundry list of things I just listed out here that this is going to be a hell of a day. <laughs> uh, and really the days surrounding it, because there's a lot of energy that is culminating here on hump day. So where are we going to start? Let's start with uh, Mars trining Pluto. So Mars, you know, that's how we uh, assert ourselves, where we take action, how we drive ourselves forward and where we're motivated. Now that trine is going to be flowing and sudden and, you know, no obstacles are there and just things are developing. Well, where's our action energy going? Well, it's going towards transformation and things, making great changes uh, and purifying our life in some way, which would really uh, support the Marie Kondo stuff I was just talking about earlier. So what we do need to notice, though, is that this plays greatly into the Mars-Venus square that is also brewing right now. So Mars has already made a trine to Saturn uh, last week, I believe. Uh, so we've had new structures being stabilized as we're carried as we carried to completion what was already on our plate. And now our action energy, uh, which is cruising through this earthly realm of Taurus, is now tapping into that Plutonian flow. And so having that Plutonian flow on its side, we can do things such as reform our material and work lives in some way. Um, and so that we may find changes that either are, I mean, sometimes they can go our way. Sometimes it might not go our way and might throw us out of balance, especially as we hit a full moon in Libra. All we know with trines is that things are sudden and they're flowing. So do not be surprised if changes uh, are directed um, in the material and work life in some way. Um, and so we can make changes in our physical reality that are long-lasting and stick as well. So if we need to make changes, like this is an excellent time to do so. We may also be feeling ambitious, yet in a stable and practical way, um, because we have that, you know, that earth energy that's behind, like behind us, motivating uh, from more of a pragmatic space. And so we can more easily step into our power and our just our natural flow at this time so that we can flow with the assertive energy. Um, and we are also getting keener insight into why we do the things we do. Because whenever there's planetary uh, connections with Pluto, you know, we get that instinctual information. Um, and so if what we do no longer is working for us or what have you, or we realize that, um, now we can actively exile that influence from our lives and basically move on with things. Now, Mercury retrograde is also going to sextile Saturn that day. And we know that Mercury brings us the news and the information. And, uh, you know, we learn of new things and we communicate things to other people. And sextiles, once again, is a flowing uh, aspect that creates some type of opportunity that opens a door, but we must um, take it in some way. It doesn't flow like our trine there. And so where are we opening the door? Well, we're opening the door to structure, uh, responsibility, authority. You know, we might hear from authority on a day like today. Um, and especially with Mars trying Pluto, you know, it might be a pretty solid message that is coming in here. But mostly it is focusing on the long term and there may be uh, some sort of uh, thing that is grounded down that it has a permanence to it. So... 
essentially, we are back reviewing a transit that first happened on the super full moon in Virgo back on February 19th, because that was the first time that Mercury made a sextile to Saturn. Because keep in mind, Mercury is retrograde, so we're rolling back over this place. So do not be surprised if something shows up again from the last full moon, because we're back We're back there. <laughs> um, and we will have one more pass coming that will happen the first weekend of April. So some of the conclusions we, uh, we're coming to then may be up for review and revision, you know, if we're coming back to that same issue that happened last full moon. Or it's, you know, perhaps plans change or morph in some way, uh, or maybe intuitive information has come in now that is to be integrated in the practical realm, you know, because Mercury is in Pisces, so it has a spiritual and emotional element to it. Um, so maybe we are intuiting some practical, uh, you know, steps uh, so that we can, um, you know, find out the details of our plan or organize it more, or just know what's going on, um, on, you know, versus spirit versus reality basically. Um, and so we have imagination and, and, you know, pragmatism working on our sides, which could be a nice combination. And I think this works well with that Mars-Pluto influence. So we have those two things going on, uh, but we also have the sun ingressing into Aries, which will happen around 3 p.m. here on the uh, Pacific coast. And then around 6.34 p.m., we have our full moon in Libra. So now let's start with Sun in Aries, uh, because really it's the officially that time of year where the zodiac cycles back over itself as we welcome the vernal equinox in and the spring season uh, for us that are in the northern hemisphere. Obviously, that is reversed if you are in the southern. You're looking at fall arriving. <laughs> um, so now Aries is always a stark contrast to Pisces, uh, as if a breath of fresh air and energizing fire just kind of sweeps through the land. Yet it may take a bit to fully get going, especially since Mercury is still retrograding through Pisces. And uh, Mars, the ruler of Aries, is cruising through the stable Earth of Taurus. So we do, we don't, we have that fire, but there's other things that are mitigating it to be slower and not, you know, bursting into flames right away. And so I think that the end of the month, when Mercury goes direct and then Mars moves into Gemini, which Mars moves into Gemini next week, I believe, uh, that we are going to start to fan that flame of our fires. So stay tuned to hear more about the mundane aspect of Aries ingress later in the program because Jack and I are going to be really getting in there. So now the full moon in Libra at zero degrees and nine minutes of Libra, like it barely stuck in there. And keep in mind, I do write a full moon article that I go into depth of what the energy looks like and as well as the Sabian symbol. Uh, and I do have my moon animal monthly that comes out um, that is a way to support the podcast that, so you can find your new uh, your new moon and your full moon animal. Um, and I found them quite accurate so far. So if you want, if that sounds like a way to support the podcast, uh, you know, I have that available. All right. So we basically have an extra kick to the Aries ingress with the first full moon straight out the gate, uh, you know, contacting that zero degree Libra point. And this is actually part one of two Libra moon, uh, full, Libra full moons that we're going to have right in a row. Because, so in, in a way, we are having a sign-based blue moon uh, where we have two full moons taking place within the same sign. So next month, we'll have 29 degrees um, Libra as a full moon. So really, you know, 
we're talking with Libra, we are talking about tension arising within the balancing of opposites. And we are likely to be thrown off balance, especially right when the moon moves into Libra. Usually that's when we're like, whoa, okay, got to balance things out here. But we have a full moon that's going to make that very apparent. Um, And so there may be a necessity to compromise with others, or maybe it's we need to find harmony and compromise within our own inner state with ourselves in order to bring back, you know, the peace in our lives. And so we may feel as if we want to come together, but there is that tension there that needs to be addressed first. And keep in mind that this is round one, so do not be surprised if it takes a full lunar month to work out any issues that are being lit up right now. So think of this full moon as an awareness of the imbalance, and the next one on April 19th to be the test of completion or celebration of that need that has arised now that it's been fully addressed. So we have a two-part Libra full moon. All right, so if that wasn't enough, the bottom line for Wednesday is that we have so much going on today. Um, So we continue to wax towards the full moon that will take place in the evening here in the U.S., Uh, and there's likely tension arising arising within where we are headed within our stories uh, with that square to Jupiter, yet there may also be excitement there as well. Now, watch for going overboard or going too far out on a limb, for that square to Jupiter may not show us the limit until we have already fallen overboard. Um, Now, we also feel that Mars-Venus square brewing, and there is a strong pragmatic energy flowing in as Luna makes a grand Earth trine from Virgo to connect to this space before we have the full moon. And so it's all driven by the desire for balance and harmony within the full moon that is on the rise. So do not be surprised if relationships are tested. We can get a lot done today, yet there's likely to be tension in the process. So this is going to be an interesting day to take note of for sure. All right, so Thursday, we have the moon in Libra, and she's actually not making any lunar aspects that day. Um, but we also have the Venus, Venus squaring Mars, and we have Venus making a sextile to Jupiter. Now, Venus squaring Mars. So this is kind of the big aspect that is taking place this week. Um, and this is happening at 1 a.m. here on Thursday, so basically <laughs> it's happening, you know, we're feeling it midweek, the whole week here. So Venus, Venus is how we relate to other people, what we open up to in life, uh, how we cultivate balance and harmony, um, and even, you know, seduction, especially when we're talking about Venus square Mars. And so we have a square. So this is going to have some tension or bring some events and action to our lives where we may feel a bit challenged. And so where are we challenged? Well, we're challenged by Mars, uh, that action, the drive, the motivation, how we assert ourselves, and possibly some aggression there. Now, we also have Venus making the sextile, uh, which opens the door for us there, creates an opportunity to Jupiter. And Jupiter just wants us to grow and move beyond uh, our horizons and, and, you know, open up the space of what's possible. And so let's put these two together because they're really playing uh, the same at the same time. And so when we look at Venus and Mars, these are essentially the female and male archetypes. 
There is usually some energizing and arousing around the opposite sex that goes on when we have Venus square Mars. And with Jupiter also there in a supporting sextile, which is quite an appropriate aspect name, if I do say so myself, at least in this position, position, man, I'm really getting the puns out there right now. Uh, You know, the sparks could certainly fly because Jupiter ramps up whatever it touches. So do not be surprised if, you know, things heat up today for for good or maybe bad if there's some tension there. Um, so, well, not bad, you know, it's it's just trying to bring us back into balance. So it's not bad, even if you find yourself in that tension. We're just trying to, you know, harmonize it back in. Now, with Venus and Aquarius, we may be innovating our relations or detached enough to open up to new ways of consorting with other people. Um, because Venus, you know, is a little cooler than she normally is in Aquarius. And it's also possible that when these two meet, that some relationship tension can arise if something is needing to be addressed. Uh, Yet, I think that Jupiter being in support of that will make it fruitful. Um, If you have a bit of a tiff or you need to confront, uh, have some confrontation with another person, because really both of these benefics just want peace, but they also want to be able to move on and grow from it. So this is likely to be a lover's day, especially with the moon in Libra. Uh, And even if you're not in a relationship, you are likely to have your interest piqued by another. Or relating to other people in our spheres may take precedence at this time. So open up, try an innovative approach, and see where it takes you. Now, the bottom line for Thursday is, is that today is likely to be all about relating with others, socializing, and doing what it takes to find compromise within any tension that may arise. Do what is necessary to put yourself into alignment, which may require opening up mentally to a different uh, and potentially unique approach. We can innovate our relational skills at this time, as long as we adjust and flow with new beliefs around what relating and personal harmony can look like. Now, on Friday, the moon is in Libra, but will make her way into Scorpio later in the evening here. Uh, And along the way, she'll square Saturn, square Pluto, sextile Jupiter, trine Venus, and then oppose Uranus. This always happens when we have no lunar aspects on one day. It seems like the days surrounding it get packed with all the lunar action. So now aspects have chilled out here for both Friday and Saturday. So we're just looking at what the moon is doing. So the bottom line for Friday is, is that Venus energy is still flowing as Luna lights up and flows towards her direction, allowing us to detach and open up more willingly with others. So most of the day is likely to feel quite good. Um, And then we feel that energy shift as Luna moves into the passionate and sensitive waters of Scorpio, while also triggering Uranus in the process. So, you know, expect some intensity to come in with the potential for restlessness or irritability in the process, because Uranus can definitely do that, and Scorpio's already got its stinger on re- on the ready. <laughs> um, yet, I think if we've already been through some things emotionally, which is possible with that Libra moon there, um, we may be able to shake it off and, and raise the vibration higher, because that's the higher, you know, aspect of Uranus. And because the moon is in Scorpio, we can use the healing waters of the scorpion for good. Now, on Saturday, the moon is fully in Scorpio and will make a trine to Neptune uh, quite late in the evening. 
And so the bottom line for Saturday is, is that passion and intensity within relations to others is commonplace with the Scorpio moon at play. So you can expect the desire energy to be up today. And we may be a little moodier than usual, yet I think that will only be the case if we have not resolved the energy from the days prior. A trying to Neptune later in the evening increases the sensitivity and puts us in our imaginations, which is actually very nice for creative work. If you're a creative artist or if you want to do anything creative, the imagination will be flowing. And so we may just want to go with the flow tonight. So if you feel like staying in and escaping into a good book or a movie, no one is stopping you. This evening would be a great time for spiritual reflection as well with that trying to Neptune, uh, especially since Mercury retrograde will be making its second, second conjunction to Neptune tomorrow morning. Um, so this would be a great time to have that inner process. Now, on Sunday, the moon is still in Scorpio, and she'll make a trine to Mercury, a sextile to Saturn, a sextile to Pluto, an opposition to Mars, and a square to Venus. So Luna is making her rounds this weekend. Um, But we do have Mercury retrograde conjunct Neptune, like I just said there. So let's break this down real quick. And I have talked about this before because it is caught up in our retrograde cycle here. So we know that Mercury brings us the information and we learn something and we're communicating things. News comes in. Um, And really, conjunctions are always merging those energies together and creating new cycles. Although this is a little bit of an interesting one because in this retrograde dance, um, So where are we merging? Uh, That's with Neptune. And Neptune does bring that spiritual inspiration um, where, you know, just spirit is speaking. Imagination is up. We just get pictures or more clairvoyant um, interaction in our mind. Uh, But it can also create some uh, doubt or confusion or the disillusion of something. Um, so there is that, it, it, there is that foggy space that can be brought about when Mercury or really any planet conjuncts or makes any aspect to Neptune. And so, um, so basically the first conjunction happened on February 18th when we were starting out our Mercury retrograde shadow period. So we may be revisiting some things that, uh, may have been, you know, happened around that time and that's coming back up. So look to, you know, mid February, especially February 18th to get kind of like an insight into what this transit looks like for you. And so we have one more pass to go before Mercury stations and then hits Neptune again early on, uh, early in the morning on April 2nd, which I think is going to make a particularly gullible April Fool's Day, uh, this year as people, you know, Neptune can pull the wool over your eyes. So it will be very easy to trick people, I think, um, with our April Fool's jokes. So just know that your mind may be in the fog a little bit there, but there is that spiritual connection that is taking place. Um, so this would be a great day to find some time to have that, um, uh, to go in and, and make space for meditation and more of an intuitive awareness. So now the bottom line for Sunday is pay attention to your dreams with all this Neptune action, uh, really both Saturday and Sunday, for there may be a nugget of spiritual directive coming in through that route. 
Now, we may also feel that tension again as, you know, Venus and Mars square gets activated once again by the moon in Scorpio. Um, And really, this is likely to be a lower energy day, yet not without its occasional irritation or volatile emotion coming in, you know, especially as the moon opposes Mars from, um, you know, moody Scorpio. So if you find your place, uh, self in a place of upset, you know, try to let it go and let it flow and open up to a different way of detaching from that space. All right, to wrap it all up here, you know, this is likely to be an active week, particularly within the realm of uh, partnerships and relating to other people in our lives. And there will be ups and downs, with the issue of balance being the forefront of our current bare necessities. Yet we have a refreshed budding awareness of the self as the zodiacal new year ushers in the spring airy season, indicating that new starts are on the horizon. So now let's look, take a look at the cards because they always add a little something-something to what I'm talking about here. Um, and this week I drew the three of pentacles and the three of wands. So we have some three threes going up in here. Now with the three of pentacles as the focus, there is the theme of having your skills or your abilities recognized or rewarded in some way this week. A long overdue acknowledgement may come around that helps you feel validated in your work and the talents that you possess. We may be focused on the projects before us in general, and the spirit of teamwork, you know, that moon in Libra, (laughs) will be needed in order to have all parts in working order. Because we do have uh, Mars making that trying to Pluto there, so um, there, there is work to be done this week for sure. Now, with the Three of Wands as the grounding, since we have uh, two threes this week, there may be a strategic plan that is being laid out right now as we seek to expand and amplify our efforts in some way. This week feels like it will be quite productive in business and the goals we have for ourselves, so open your arms to the success that is headed to shore. And if it has yet to arrive, perhaps now is the time to bring new ideas and strategies to the forefront for implementation. As both of these cards speak to previous efforts, uh, the ship may come in this week in regards to effort that has already been put out. Especially if you own a small business, it's quite possible that this will be an excellent omen for aid and support in your ventures. So look for the support on the horizon. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the deer. And it's interesting that this sweet-hoofed creature shows up as a more gentle version of last week's ambassador, which was the elk. Uh, And our adorable Bambi here is asking that we move forward on our paths this week, using our instincts to help guide us through. Following the gut is what is needed as more and more clues come in to help direct the potential course of events. It's crucial that we trust in what it is we sense, for if we do not, then our most valuable guidance system is not being put to good use, and we may find ourselves lost in the forest. Particularly if you are in a place of mental anxiety or worry about not knowing what to do or if you are doing the right thing. So drop down into your senses, take a few deep breaths to center, and then your instinctual self will help find, uh, help you find the way through. And especially with Pluto and Mars trining this week, there are deep instincts at play. So follow that flow and allow it to lead you in the right direction. 
Now, if you'd like to go deeper with the energy of the week and how it interacts with you personally, I encourage you to check out my tarot subscription on Patreon. For $6 a month, I offer a uh, weekly custom card spread uh, where it's aligned with the astrological energies. And so we take basically what I'm saying here and then allow card placements to fill in the gaps uh, for you personally and what that energy looks like. And so last week we worked on contemplating possibilities Uh, with all that Mercury action that was going on. And this week, we will be working on harmony and union, especially with our full moon in Libra. So if you want to check out uh, a freebie spread and find out more about my tarot subscription, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so happy to welcome back this week's special guest, Jack Marsh. Thank you for joining me on the podcast again. <laughs> my pleasure, Mel. Jack is clearly uh, my number one guest. He's almost <laughs> he's almost like my silent partner at this point, with <laughs> or not we so family. We family. Yes, <laughs> um, and it, I thought it was perfect because today we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the Aries ingress. Um, just as far as the equinox is concerned, we're going to look at some mundane stuff. And and Jack and I both share an interest in these more mundane and kind of political, you know, facets of astrology. And because also he was just he was on the lead. Libra Equinox that we did, uh, you know, six months ago. So it seems right to have him back. Um, now, Jack, before we get started here, for those who have not heard you before, you know, who, who are you? <laughs> Where do you come from? Well, from whence I hail, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> I am a DC area astrologer. Um, I also uh, am just like my name, a jack of all trades. I'm a, I'm a double Gemini as well. So I work in professional home staging and interior design, uh, especially for sale in the real estate market. I also am a yoga instructor, and I am an astrologer, and love just running around doing lots and lots of things. Uh, I have been uh, blessed enough to have been working at a local studio as of late, and fingers crossed, this Mercury retrograde has been going transiting the 10th house here, and there's a fabulous potential job opportunity on the horizon. Uh. <laughs> I just feels that I want to stay sufficiently Piscean and vague about for the moment. But um, yeah, lots of really fabulous things in the works. So uh, DC. Ooh. Yeah. Well, and you seem so perfect for us to also talk about, you know, the Aries ingress, because for the country, we're going to obviously draw it for uh, the DC area. And, you know, so Jack is just perfect in more ways than one for this podcast <laughs> today. And I, you know, I have to give, uh, give it up to him for even making it this far because, you know, Mercury is retrograding right now as we speak. We just went through a first quarter square in Gemini as we're recording this. And Jack reached out this morning and he's like, oh, we need to, you know, push it back a couple hours. The computer's not working. And so you've had your own Mercury retrograde hang, uh, hangups and headaches today, right? <laughs> I have. And let me tell you, the uh, the sun uh, squared Jupiter here today also is just like maybe that extra travel. I've had to go the extra mile physically, um, but there have been a lot of generous individuals, Jupiter giving me leads. I just had to travel to them. Uh, Mercury retrograde in Pisces in order to get everything linked up. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, we got to give it up to Jack uh, for making it this far today, you know, be it having those obstacles, you know, and it's Mars trying Saturn right now too in the earth signs. So you had to just stick it out. <laughs> well, that extra work, exactly. That nice exactly. trying to make things a little easier between those malefics. That's right. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was going to work out. It just needed an obstacle along the way. Um, <laughs> So, all right. Well, let us first talk about uh, just the equinox in in general. And I, you know, and we talk about equinox because every time it comes up, you know, depending on what hemisphere you are in the world, you know, it's hard for us to be like the spring equinox, even though that's what it is for the North Hemisphere. <laughs> um, but we covered a lot of equinox stuff, I think, in the last time we talked. In, in we did. We did. So Jack has some fun information to share um, in regards to some kind of festival-related stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just looking at the history globally um, and some uh, just interesting uh, facts about the monuments that the ancients built because, you know, there were always in alignment with both the stars, but also the sun, which, you know, is such an interesting thing that even the ancients were building monuments that were at times separately in alignment with stars and at times specifically aligned to what would be considered the tropical alignment of the sun. So there were, uh, there was both sort of, you could say, sidereal and tropical alignments being celebrated as far back as we have physical monuments, which is super cool to think about. Mm. Um, But uh, so equinox, the word equinox is Latin for equal night. So it's those two times during the year where the tilt of the earth meets our alignment with the sun. And therefore, both the north and the southern hemisphere experience equal periods of night in comparison to the day. now, in the, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, this obviously has been associated with the spring. Aries is considered where the sun is uh, exalted or given extra status and power, even though it is not a direct ruler. And part of that um, in some of the ancient Greek texts was literally cited because this is the moment where the light begins to overtake the, the darkness, where the day overcomes night. And the reverse is obviously true in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, but these balancing points are really uh, moments where we're meeting, uh, symbolically meeting that which is exposed and seen in the out- outside world, that which might be biographical or historical and happening in the moment with that which is uh, within us. Um, it's a moment where the iceberg, it, uh, instead of just being the tip with the mass beneath, is more like sort of, you know, lifted up on the swell and you see half the iceberg. Uh, they're really great opportunities for us, just like at um, the quarter moons, to move things into action. Because the new moon and the full moon, just like the solstices, are moments of peak uh, peak rise and peak um, seeding or dissemination, mm. right? And the uh, the quarter moons or the equinoxes for the sun represent moments where we have the light embodied in a square aspect to its normal pattern, right? So the square is where most there's the most tension, the most manifesting that could happen. Um, so these mo- amazing moments of tension resulted in some really fun things like, you know, the Indian uh, festival of Holi, where they, uh, H-O-L-I, where they throw the colorful powder at each other. And you see this recreated all over the place at music festivals and things. And it's this amazing, vibrant, um, all natural sort of just dye powder and people wear white and you get covered in all these colors. Fun. Um, I know, super fun. And it, uh, it symbolic, uh, symbolizes the, 
overcoming of good to evil. So again, that whole Aries concept, the day is overcoming the night. And then in terms of uh, monuments, uh, like we were uh, mentioning just before, the Great Pyramid at Giza in Egypt is aligned so that on the vernal equinox, it exactly faces the sun in such a way that three sides are in shadow and just the one facing the sun mm-hmm. is lit, which is super duper cool. And then the largest Mayan pyramid at uh, Chichen Itza, um, has the serpent of light where it has these massive step stairs that ascend the sides like a staircase and on the vernal equinox the sun hits the pyramid in just such a way where uh, two of the sides um, uh, reflect shadows so that it looks like a serpent made of light is slithering at the tops of the stairs because of how perfectly it is in shadow and light um, that's so cool. Super, duper cool. <laughs> so cool. And then finally, just to top it off, we're going to bring it back towards what we're going to talk about a little more today, which is mundane astrology. And so those two things, mundane astrology is really a fascinating topic. And just like natal astrology, you're going to use all the same tools. You don't need any extra tools to work with mundane astrology than you do to work with natal, a natal astrology. You just sort of need to think on a different scale. So... In terms of the yearly progress, you want to think of each of the four cardinal ingresses to be the moments where a new season is changing. And so Aries, Cancer, Libra, Capricorn, each one's going to speak to about a quarter of the year. And then we're going to look at the year ahead from the angle of Aries. But just to mention, there is some dispute amongst very prominent mundane astrologers whether to use the Aries ingress, like Robert Hand, uh, as the primary moment for looking at a year ahead, or whether to use uh, the Capricorn ingress, the the winter solstice, as the primary moment of the year ahead. Uh, And uh, those that would advocate that would have been Robert Blaschke um, and uh, Charles Carter. And so each quarter ingress is going to be specifically for that quarter ahead, but there is just a little debate amongst mundane astrologers whether to use the Aries ingress as the basis for the year or the Capricorn ingress as the basis for the year. And uh, that is also, interestingly enough, replicated if you compare it to the Fima Mundi, which is the ancient sort of mythological birth chart for the world, Mm. getting back to ancient Egypt, or the modern system of the 12-letter alphabet. Now, the Fimamundi puts cancer in the first house, right? Which would make Aries the 10th house, the 10th from the first, which makes sense if you think about it from the perspective of Aries representing sexual maturity. You know, the moment of flowering. The flower isn't the whole plant. The plant has already had something established to when it can bud forth. Mm. And the bud is the moment of sexual maturity or adolescence, uh, the moment at which you can strike forth separately from the needs to be nurtured. And uh, it's like the moment when all of the uh, goods and resources of the world can meet your needs, but you still have to make your space in the world with those resources. That's the incentive for like the Aries movement forward. Uh, And that also can be applied to the 12-letter alphabet when Aries is the first house, because the first house is where you step into the world with this action or as this individual, and where where you inseminate the uh, trajectory for your intention, at least as you uh, as, as it is in its inception. Of course, 
in both inception and adolescence, we mature over time and perhaps have different goals by the end. Yes. But, um, but it's interesting to see how those have, have sort of parallel similarities and also interesting that they appear, those similarities rotate around the two axes of most visibility, the MC and the ascendant, right? The point of high noon and the point of coming forth into the scene on the ascendant rising in the east. Yes. Well, and it's almost like it's almost like we made a case for almost every single uh, ingress chart within within that example. But that's kind of just it, really. But you know, to liken back to what you're saying about the uh, Aries ingress, at least here in the northern hemisphere, um, and how you know essentially Aries and Libra are points of. Uh, equality in some way, as far as the day and the night's concerned. And how, uh, like you just mentioned, in the Aries ingress uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, we have now the day overcoming the night. So there does seem like an equal point to me that is, you know, kind of a, a, a like a solid beginning to like go off of that is not out of balance. And so maybe that's, mm-hmm. maybe that's why, how we can kind of take the Aries ingress a little bit since we're going to be using that today <laughs> as right. far as our, uh, you know, but maybe that's one of the reasons for that because uh, like you were just saying that kind of insemination process um, and that kind of identity process and that singularity process of Aries and the birth of things um, there. And then also that equality of energies. And, and because, you know, like you said earlier too, with the sun in Aries, essentially the sun is exalted as the only, uh, it's the only cardinal point where the sun will have its most dignity, um, mm-hmm. you know. So we'll, we'll just say that. But you know what's interesting about uh, mundane charts um, as far as the ingresses are concerned and how to, you know, how to differentiate whether a chart, uh, the ingress chart will be kind of held on its own or if there will be other charts at play throughout the year. So when you look at the Aries ingress um, for, you you know, you're going to want to, for the most part, you're going to want to draw the chart for the capital of the country that you live in. And, you know, of course, we're going to be talking about the U.S. because that's where Jack and I are. (laughs) Um, But really, you can do this for any, you know, country, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to want to look at is we're going to look at the rising sign because like Jack just said earlier, you know, there it's kind of it's the same tools as the natal chart. We're, we're using the same things here, um, but they're just applied in a little bit of a different way. So now we're going to look at the Aries ingress chart. And the first thing you want to look at is if, you know, what sign is the ascendant in? Because that will help you dictate how many charts you're going to be looking at through the process of the year. So now if you look at the chart and it has a cardinal sign like Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn, you would then draw a chart for each one of those ingresses of the solstices and equinoxes. Now, if it is a fixed uh, sign where it's Taurus, Leo, uh, Scorpio, or Aquarius, then that chart, that Aries ingress chart would be the chart of the year. Of course, you're going to need other charts to play around with it. You know, it's not the end-all be-all, but essentially that's a fixed point. Now, if it's an immutable sign like this year's is, this year we have a Virgo rising chart for our uh, DC um, 
ingress. And so that is going to need a chart for both the Aries ingress and then the Libra ingress on the other side, the two equinox points. And so that's an old technique that's been around for, uh, you know, a very long time of like how mundane astrologers would draw up those ingresses. Um, so yeah, Jack, we're kind of looking at Aries and Libra this year, although we're just looking at Aries today, just FYI. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, what's interesting is, um, uh, that, uh, Aries, uh, and, uh, in its first decans, that first section of Aries and then Pisces where we're leaving in order to ingress, that last decan of Pisces, um, they're both ruled by uh, Mars intraplicity and Mars also, um, I, I was just re- ref- uh, referring to Austin Coppock's book on the decans. And so uh, he lists each decan as being ruled um, by two different planets uh, through different systems. Uh, maybe it's ter- uh, term intraplicity, it's triplicity and something else. It might not be term, but the interesting thing about the transition from the third decade of Pisces to the first of Aries is that they're both jointly ruled by Mars. That's right. There is, that's right. There's a smooth transition where you have solid Mars ruler, sub rulership, and then Aries comes into primary, but at least you have this martial um, quality. And it's also interesting that the end of Pisces is the veil between worlds Mm. and, and, it sort of is symbolic of the intention of the will to reassert itself into a vessel as it moves across the veil. So it, it like carries wonderfully poetically from this ethereal place of transmutation uh, and disembodiment through to an intention being set. And then the intention meets reality through direct insemination and like, like actually forms into a life and in an unembodied form. So that's just like a really beautiful martial process. Like Mars can really bring a lot of beauty that I think that we often discount Saturn and Mars for being able to bring it forth really beautiful things. Mm. But uh, whoever says that there isn't something Saturnian about the monuments in Egypt is kidding themselves. And uh, like like the, the intentionality of life and like the weeds sporting, uh, sprouting forth from the concrete at an abandoned facility, you know, that like, like, mm, that pressure of breaking through the rock that is like this martial Uranian goodness of just <laughs> bursting. <laughs> Those things are so beautiful. And so this is really an, uh, an ingress moment where we're looking towards the rest of the year. We're sort of comfortable at this point. Everyone psychologically is comfortable with the fact that we are in 2019. People are over the hall. I was writing to Dayton. It was 2018. Uh-huh. Isn't that so funny? Like people are beyond <laughs> the point of needing to incorporate and accept the changing year. Which yeah. is not what that first quarter is about. And so now we're really looking for the direction. What will the year look like historically and for us? Um, and so this is really a moment of us moving forward into deciding what that and, and choosing through our action what that's going to look like for us. And there are a few really interesting factors at play as you look at the ingress chart for the United States. Yes. And there are, there are, there's some themes that are definitely coming up in my mind. Um, but I thought maybe before we, I thought maybe we would just tackle it planet by planet. That way we can kind of, you know, and I will give the disclaimer that 
that uh, Jack and I are doing this as for entertainment, you know, like it's hard to fully call certain things, but we're just going to run through, you know, each planet, you know, what house it's sitting in, maybe what planets are not jiving with it. And so we're going to basically stimulate our own imaginations in the process. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Now, now I have a quick question for you. So uh, there are a few, do- I mean, there are several angles happening, right? Yeah. So you think we should just maybe touch on those at the very end to sort of knit this picture together? Or do you think establishing maybe a framework for the aspects that are like the most exact of which there are a few ahead of time might set yeah. the um, well, let us look at, well, let us first discuss the angles real quick and then maybe just kind of point out what planets are working in a, kind of a strength and a domicile situation and yes. what planets 100%. are having a little, you know, there might be a little bit of issue or <laughs> a little challenging right. this year. And then we can start to break it down from there. 100%. So, um, right, uh, the, the main Angles we're, I mean, angle aspects we're looking at here um, that are going to be impacting what we're about to talk about through the houses, because I think Mel's approach is fabulous. But just to sort of build a little bit of a picture in your mind, we're, we're kind of, we're like almost in a kite formation. If the, if the sun and the moon had been, like, were earlier in their degrees, we'd have, like, this really wonderful kite pattern in the center of the chart. But basically, we have a separating trine from Saturn in Capricorn to Mars over in Taurus. We got a beautiful exacting square from Venus overcoming in Aquarius to Mars. Yeah, so much to say about that. (laughs) So much to say about that. So much to say about that. And then we have almost exactly, I mean, uh, perfecting within only a few hours the exact full moon in Libra, right? So we have the opposition of the luminaries. We have... uh, our retrograde Mercury approaching a pretty tight conjunction with Neptune. Mm-hmm. Right. Very um, significant. <laughs> very significant. Jupiter's tightest aspect is uh, going to be that really helpful sextile to Venus. Mm-hmm. Super helpful if you choose to take it. That's the thing about a sextile. It's like the ninja star. It's sitting on the table, but you got to <laughs> choose to pick it up and throw it. Right. Um, and then the, those are really the, the dominating aspects because uh, the nodes are out of, or they're separating from scope. I mean, I, I guess the south node is still applying to Pluto, but that's a really overarching pattern. Otherwise, they're unaspecting the other major planets. So yeah, that, that, that's really the planetary lineup here that we're looking at. And we have both slow-moving uh, slow Uranus finally in Taurus, and Chiron in Aries. Well, and then the Chiron bit is very interesting. We'll, we'll marry that as we start to talk about the sun, because that's probably where we're going to kick off with our planetary rundown. Um, but I've got some thoughts on that Chiron <laughs> connection there, because really the zero degrees Aries sun there is other than the moon, which technically is at the end tail end of Virgo at the time of the ingress. It's not to that full yet. So... I mean, really, the sun is only being aspected, for the most part, by Chiron in the moon. And uh, we're going to start to paint a picture of what that's going to look like. 
but also we have to take in note some strengths and some challenges because we do have that Virgo rising. We have a Virgo rising chart, which is putting all of our angles in mutable signs. So we are looking at a very mutable chart that is going on here where it's kind of this transitional energy. It's an adaptable energy. It's a back and forth type of situation. And when we think about Virgo and rising, you know, we are immediately going to look to Mercury. And Mercury is retrograde in Pisces, the sign of its detriment and its fall, conjunct Neptune, you know, like... Conjunct the descendant. Conjunct the descendant. Very important. Very important as we're going to dissect this here. Um, And so Mercury is so powerful, but so... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's so sloppy at the same time. <laughs> like it's it's uh it's gonna be interesting. Now um Mars also is in a place uh in Taurus of detriment there because you just heard uh Jack kind of run down that Mars is part of these configurations that are going to be taking place, um, and uh, like the most important aspects. And so Mars is gonna have some uh some interesting challenges as well that we'll get into. But he's sitting in the ninth house, so it's a little less of a power place, uh, but it will still have its influence. Now, Saturn and Jupiter both this year are, at the time of the ingress, are in their domicile signs. You know, we have Jupiter and Sagittarius. We have Saturn and Capricorn. Um, and of course, we have Saturn that's about to conjunct Pluto. So this is the ingress that is essentially the last yearly cycle before we have our next ingress, which will start kind of the seeding of that Saturn-Pluto, which will have already conjuncted at that time. Um, so it's kind of like a, a, a tight last hurrah in that area, and that's happening in the fifth house. But now that Jupiter in Sagittarius that's strong, uh, that Jack said earlier is making a sextile to Venus, is in the fourth house. And so once again, we have So basically, we have the moon in Virgo in the first. We have Jupiter in Sagittarius in the fourth. We have Mercury in Neptune, uh, conjunct the descendant in the seventh. And uh, the the 10th house is kind of free right there. Um, But those are some important planets because those are at pivot points. So the moon, Jupiter, Mercury, and Neptune are going to be especially uh, prominent this year. Yes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> uh, a very thorough job, Mel. I am uh, just, I'm flipping between charts right now, and that was just so enthralling. I was totally in the flow with you there. I, I love his face. I wish you could see it right now. I know where you guys are listening, but his, <laughs> his focus is intense. Um, he's getting in there. So, all right, well, let's start to break it down, Jack. Let's, um, let's, talk about, let's talk about first the sun, because, you know, the sun is the sun. It's the whole thing that's setting up our chart here, right? <laughs> exactly. So, all right. So, for an Aries ingress obviously the sun is going to be in aries and in whole signs because uh jack and i are looking at whole sign houses uh the sun is technically in the eighth um but if you are looking at a placidus chart or regio montanus or whatever house system you may use the sun at could be in the seventh for you and really i i'm kind of pairing those together those two houses to be honest, because I think that uh, there is something to be said for that melding of space. Now, the in mundane astrology, just saying real quick, the sun is essentially the head of state. That is the person in power. Um, you know, we know the uh, the idea of the body politic. 
Um, and the top of that politic is essentially the head <laughs> and what's so purpose for Aries too. So perfect. Um, so we already have, so we're looking at the head of state, right, Jack? That's who yeah. our, our focus is here. Um, yes. Yeah. Or the ruling body, which in uh, within non-authoritarian uh, governments could include the Congress, um, could include uh, the Supreme Court making a major decision, depending on what country you're talking about. It's the visible uh, extensions of uh, the rule of law and power and mm-hmm. how the public accept that as being sort of the perceived doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you'll, you'll start to notice as we kind of run down, cause I'm going to kind of define things as we go. So you can kind of just do your own, you know, <laughs> uh, get your own ideas there, but you're going to start to notice that some themes overlap within certain planets, certain houses, mm-hmm. certain signs. And so it's not as cut and dry, of course. Um, so now we already said that the sun essentially is in affliction with the moon. <laughs> which we'll get in here right. first in a second. And it's sitting there conjunct Chiron. Um, and so, I mean, obviously I thought right away, the sun in Chiron, you know, being the state or this, you know, country is, you know, cause Chiron is that place of the wound or the place that something is opened up or, you know, and, and Chiron's fresh in this new sign of Aries, which I just did a fabulous podcast with uh, Christina Caudill um, a couple yes. of episodes ago, was, you know, if you didn't mm-hmm. have heard that, you know, check that out. But I mean, Jack, what do you think about kind of this, you know, that head of state being paired with this kind of chironic figure? (laughs) Well, I think that it plays out exactly as it will perfect. And what I mean by that is that the moon will actually perfect its opposition with the sun before the sun perfects its conjunction with Chiron, because the moon will perfect hours before hours after that moment versus Chiron will be the next full calendar day and a half. Um, and so what that means for me is that there's this misalignment, the sun representing that, which is seen or decreed or lawed. And the moon is oftentimes the, the proletariat. It's the, the felt body of the, of the country or the nation, yeah. the circumstance at hand that is being manifest. Right. And I think that the, at the moment of, Aries ingress, of course, the sun is in aversion to the moon, right? The moon can't, the sun can't see the moon when it's in Virgo and the sun is in Aries. There's that sign-based aversion. Um, But it's very close to perfecting with the sun. So in order for us to arrive in a place where we publicly begin to heal our wounds on a broader, on a more broad scale, thematically, both quote, sides of the country because we are fairly divided in two at this yes. moment before we can work our way up to the grand archetypes of healing the sort of ancestral almost archetypal divides. We first must come to terms with and bring into the light and feel the disembodied imbalance of our relationship with the other side of the United States, the moon moving out of aversion and stumbling into zero degrees of Libra and coming immediately into full frontal spotlight with the sun, the light of the public awareness. Uh, uh, And the the full moon and the sun uh, always represents partnership anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's coming into zero degrees of Libra or like the inception of relationships and the moment of first impression, the moment of interaction. And I think that it uh, will bring us, that we need to come face to face with 
the other in our society and start to speak to them Mm. like family again before we can arrive at a place of meaningful healing of our old wounds. Mm. I love that, Jack. I love that. And uh, and especially if we're looking at the idea that the moon is essentially, we're going to get into what the moon means in more detail here, but the moon essentially is making that opposition point, like you said, at the beginning of Libra. And Libra is about, you know, the balancing of opposites and and coming together and to find justice for that too. Um, And it's also very interesting to note, like I just said earlier, how we have a mutable ingress. So the charts that are important for this year are the Aries one and the Libra one. So it's interesting to note that once we draw the chart for the second half of the year, essentially that sun will be conjunct this full moon point. So there's almost like a picking up where we left off of, you know, like as far as that's, uh, you know, the moon is concerned. And the moon is super important because that is like Jack was saying, that's, the, that's us, that's the common people. That's the, you know, public opinion, the popular opinion. It's the, the masses, the, uh, you know, the collective attitude towards the feminine and the female, which we're going to get into because we have some strong Venus uh, actions going on here. Um, it's also things like our water supply when you think about, you know, <clears throat> those types of things. But to go back to the sun real quick before we get into the moon there. So the sun basically is sitting in a place by whole sign. It's sitting in the eighth house. So in, as far as mundane is concerned, we're looking at things like the national debt. Uh, we are looking at insurance, social security, uh, international finance, which I find very interesting. All uh, that which happens behind closed doors. Door, that's Ooh. right. Multinational <laughs> corporations. Uh-huh. Foreign investment. But also, you know, the death and the rebirth and the renewal of the nation itself. So I find that interesting Mm -hmm. that the sun is taking place there. And if you look at it as far as the, you know, uh, a house-based system where it falls in the seventh, you know, the seventh is foreign relations, you know, war and peace, agreements or non-agreements with others, uh, alliances and, and opposing forces. And so really we can marry those two together almost. Those, um, I, there's, going to be a strong emphasis on foreign relations and trade, I think, this year um, for for better or not. <laughs> um, and oh, it might yeah. get messy. Uh, Absolutely. Sure. Especially with even things outside of the United States control to bring it to a global perspective for all listeners. I mean, the stuff happening at the time of our recording this week, the, the whole Brexit issue yes. came to a second vote and they voted down the second offering of the European Union within the English Parliament. And the leader of the EU said in his speech earlier this week, like in his beautiful accent, like, that this is the second chance and there will be no third chance. And like... No third chance. chance. And you're like, oh, and now they're going to ask for like, so things way outside of the United States scope are absolutely in the works. I mean, we have plenty going on domestically, but even in addition to that, there are so many things on the world stage that are going to be changing how trade borders are um, accessed, what it means to be a citizen and a citizen of what and what level, like all of these, um, uh, all of these issues for the United States, uh, for, for the United States are not just um, isolated incidents, like, right, the energy of this ingress carries through the whole day, but how each country gets the brunt end of it is, of course, dependent on when the, like, when that moment hits, what part of what ascendant from their yeah. capital. 
Yeah. So they're, they're going to look a little different. And that's a great point about the whole Brexit issue. And like one of the main things that, you know, uh, the UK has either uh, had a short sight on or is just not wanting to address is the fact that the, the time is almost up. And, you know, those borders are not going to have any, like there's going to be some serious trade issues and border issues with uh, the UK and especially between um, Ireland, Northern Ireland and, and Ireland itself, which is already a very contentious area, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. And so it, it's a big, big, thing. And we got to keep in mind that even though we're kind of talking about house placements that are for the U.S., these planetary placements are for everyone, like Jack was saying. So that's going to have an emphasis, you know, for for everyone. And that Mercury retrograde in Neptune, (laughs) you know, enough said. Um, But you know what's interesting, Jack, to kind of play what you're saying here, at least on the, the U.S., is I don't know if you've heard of something, and I don't even know if it's just California or not. I'm assuming it's going to be a nationwide thing. Um, have you heard of the real ID? No, honestly, I have yeah. not. I hadn't either. And I had a friend just inform me because she went to go get a driver's license because she just got married, and so she's changing her name. And so starting next year, they have something called a real ID, which is So basically, if we fly from state to state, we're going to either need to use our passport or a real ID, which is a different kind of form of identification than our uh, our, um, driver's license, which I thought Mm. was interesting, you know, because it's it's setting up... you know, I was looking at that immigration issue, of course. Um, but then I was like, can anybody get a driver's license if they're not a citizen? Can you get a driver's license if you're not a citizen? You know, I don't know. Maybe you can, but... Uh, you can get something called a legal identification card from the DMV. Okay, because I was like, well, what would make a difference from a real ID versus our, our you know, uh, state-issued driver's license? So anyways, that's just kind of playing on what, what you were saying there. Um, and how things are, things are getting interesting. Um, but okay. So let's go to this, let's go to the moon real quick and, and, and say where her placement is, where it is for the U S and also to Jack's point, you know, the moon is in a waxing gibbous, almost opposition for everyone when this Aries ingress hits. So essentially our two luminaries are at odds and mm-hmm. in aversion, you know, for everyone, everyone <laughs> is getting this uh, same scenario. So like I said before, the moon uh, is that, that common people, the public opinion, popular opinion, uh, our collective attitudes, um, especially towards the feminine, the female, things along those lines. Now the moon is in the first house, um, and in Virgo. And so the first house in mundane astrology represents the nation as a whole. So this is the point of who we are. And we have the moon there. So it's almost like we're really connected to who we are and where we're going. And how we feel. And how we're in we touch feel. with our collective, our, our collective emotion at that absolutely, moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it is about the nation as a whole, the country and its citizens, but also the image of the country and its people. Um, you know, cause that's the, what we're projecting out into the worldly sphere. And so basically any planet that is in the first house in a mundane chart is going to be highly significant. Um, and so it really places the people, you know, the, the, who we are as a country as a, like one of the most significant 
points of this chart. And to really play into what you were saying before about how the, uh, the full moon is going to progress. So basically, the full moon is going to progress to uh, basically oppose the position of the sun. And that won't be until uh, May 12th is when the moon will progress to hit the sun. And then it will progress to hit Chiron on June 24th, which I'm predicting the end of June, probably about 24th through the 29th, there's going to be something significant. And it's not just that that's happening. There's a bunch of other things that are lining up as far as the ingress, uh, you know, Trump's chart, the inauguration chart, uh, the US chart, you know, there's a lot of little breadcrumbs being Mm -hmm. dropped there. But Okay, so Jack, I mean, what do you think about the moon in the first in Virgo? You know, and that's us as a people. Exactly. And you know, what's also fascinating is that it it puts the light, you know, it puts the sect light, the sun, again, in a whole whole sign system, puts it over in the eighth, but it puts Mercury and Neptune still in the seventh after all those interactions that they've just had. And it's almost like because we, the, the ruler of the ascendant, Mercury, somehow comes to represent. Uh, so if, if, these, if the first house or the ascendant represents the country or us as a people, the ruler of the ascendant represents the motion or the direction that that is headed in. Mm-hmm. And so that is over on the ascendant, on Neptune, combust the sun still, and moving away from the sides, just moving barely out of combustion. So we're a retrograde Mercury or a retrograde people in, in <laughs> detriment and fall, moving away from the blinding light of the sun, but approaching this like this fading misty fog of Neptune, right? Just to paint, uh, like to illustrate a picture, I think that we've been bouncing around from, like, we've been so polarized, but on either side of what I would call like, maybe like the the veil of absolutism so on one side we have we have uh, a group of people that have sided with uh those in power and the current presidency and the republicans and they are staunch 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 uh either i have infinite forgiveness or you must be lying like they like in order to reconcile my experience like being yeah my experience or Wrong, wrong, wrong. Everything is wrong. Nothing is right, right? And uh, in order to combat this aggressive force, and it led to all these wonderful young people in Congress and all these, like, this uprising, this uprooting that would not, I don't think, have been there if we had, dare I say, if we had had President Clinton, I don't know that we would have all of these young people in the Democratic Party. Um, I agree with that. Now me the cross, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) you're speaking truth my friend you know we have to look past we have to look past our current scenario for what is you know the the, bigger picture the bigger picture the side you know the side effects the positive side effects of this i Um, think we would have lost the congress for 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 a decade or more if we honestly if 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 the democrats had won this last election i think that because the next election is always uh like the midterm is always a reaction to whoever won like they basically always lose seats and it was already a republican controlled house and 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 senate um i think we would have lost it even further and become more entrenched in a actually a much more endearing not in a good sense endearing in a lasting sense Mm. way to the country because there would have been a lot more laws passed in favor of the Republican referendum if the Democrats had won the presidency simply because of optics. I think we actually reclaimed more power 
in the end because of this doofus novice, <laughs> um, <laughs> than if we had had our own leader only because of the collective psyche, like the group think, the yeah. way that society reacts to things. Yeah. And so, okay, so the moon in Virgo, speaking of society reacting to things, <laughs> this is essentially what we're talking about we here. And so, you know, especially with so many, the, all the topics that are on the forefront right now, you know, I kind of feel like A, people are going to be wanting details. People yes. are going to be wanting all the details. They want to get into the nitty gritty. And right. essentially there is just going to be increased heat and opposition to the head of state. I think, by the people. Yes. Because we and are finally, headed that way. <laughs> exactly. And finally, this blurring of the boundary with, with us, represented by Mercury, approaching Neptune on the descendant in Pisces, retrograde, for me actually represents finally a blurring of the boundary within the populace, a melding of the minds, an ability to see like in ways across our dynamic. Because think back to 15 to 20 years ago, we were in a place... Whereas a country, we could, except for specific issues like being gay or things like this, um, we could as a country say, you know, I am socially, you know, I'm socially liberal. Like I, I, I'm for, at that time, interracial marriage. I'm for, you know, enhanced benefits for the middle class families. I'm for these things. But, you know, I'm more fiscally conservative. I, I don't want as many uh, like social programs, period. Like, and yeah. people were able to hear each other, like these, I'm like this, but not like this, and talk across sides more, and there was more cross-pollination. And perhaps this is an opportunity for us to get some more of that wetness principle, like let go of some of these dry, hard barriers, yeah. like some of the martial things we've set up, and like invite some Venusian Jupiterian wetness. Like cross communication, cross pollination of ideas, relationships where you actually can have a Republican and a Democrat that love one another and have a home together. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, like it's not unheard of. It doesn't yeah. not exist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. I and and the whole the, the socialism aspect, I think, is going to come to play on a couple different levels here. But we'll mm. get into that when the the time <laughs> is right. But I think you're absolutely right about that. And so I think we are going to be wanting the the details. Um, I think, and you know, I, this is a point I came up with, and and you know, this is kind of having to do with the ingress. It's kind of having to do with just things as it is now in general, and Mercury and, and Pisces <laughs> retrograde um, sure. is that. The other day I had the idea of, um, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but uh, of the idea of a picture being worth a thousand words and the kind of re-engineering uh, it would take to then first have the words that would create the pictures that would then in, give a more embedded understanding through like that Pisces lens. And so for example, like around the same time, um, uh, I had th th this very idea came to me when I saw a quick picture of a bunch of, you know, dead baby cows in like a, a bucket. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to see that. But then part of me was like, okay, but having seen that, it's far more impactful to me. I'm feeling it, right? And so, and then uh, my partner and I were watching the, the Michael Jackson documentary. And he's like, why do they have to go into the details? Why do they have to go in? And, and so it dawned on me that same thought that I had with baby cows was, 
because we almost need to hear those things in order to fully understand, be able to talk about it, to not stigmatize it as much. And so I'm wondering with this moon in Virgo, if we are really going to be you know, getting into those areas that we may have shied away from at other points or, you know, you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying there? (laughs) I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And I love the way that you said, you know, actually, Mel, I was just so lost in your flow that I like literally just absorbed everything. (laughs) So yeah, we're talking about the pick the details and the details getting in there. And sometimes the details are going to be uncomfortable um, and they're going to be hyper real, you know? Exactly. Yes. Mel. And that, uh, mm, you know, when you <laughs> astrology and you get into like describing the symbols and you start to see the sky in your head and the light patterns and you just start getting like the archetypes almost like bleed off the light patterns in your head. That was such a beautiful in the flow description. I like totally feel the validity of it. And it plays right into this massive, I mean, it's so hard to ignore uh, the, the uh, Mercury retrograde Pisces Neptune conjunction on the descendant in that chart, and then how it advances for us into the Libra ingress of 2019, to where you finally have Mercury over in Libra, such a different feel, yeah. and you have it over right where... Uh, uh, right where there was a complete lack in the Aries ingress. There was nothing going on in Libra at the moment at the Aries ingress, except the, the next perfecting moment of the moon. And so it's almost like we uh, realize what the next step is at this Aries ingress very quickly, but we don't arrive at it until the Libra ingress, where we finally have that Mercury in Libra in the third house finally opening up its communication in an air sign where it's nice and comfy, pretty close to Venus. So catching some of those good wet vibes like we were talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the moon at that point will be in Cancer, conjunct the North Node. So I think that's going to be very, very strong um, for when we get to that point. But we still have the first half of this year kind of to to live out that is going to bring up these things before we can Mm -hmm. balance it out. Um, But, you know, it's also interesting with the moon in Virgo, Jack, when I was thinking... um, so in the fact that it's in the first, it, so I really think that that makes the people and their needs and the responses kind of at the forefront of this year. Like yes. people are driving the bus, really, whether or not we realize it or not. But, but, but we are, and we're going to be feeling the country uh, in a big way. And there's, other, some, there's some other significant things out there that might lead that into a negative direction, which we'll get into in a, a second. But, you know, I was thinking about things, very Virgo and things like healthcare domestic affairs. Like, I think these are going to be big topics this year. Um, and, you know, and, and really any type of reality type of based issues, I think we're going to become more hyper aware of that day to day life and what is in or out of balance. And, you know, coming into the reality of what's reasonable because, and, and that might not be decisible yes. at this time because of that Mercury-Neptune uh, conjunction there. Um, so we might not know what that is, but we're searching for that. Um, and now, on another side of things, uh, and this might be controversial, and I would just just as a notice, because we do have this divide between the, the liberals and the conservatives, and you know, all just the polarization. And so, 
when I thought of Virgo, I started to think about, you know, the, the categorization of everything social and, right. and how that's making a lot of people anxious, you know, like those nitpicking ideals, you know, like to go to the, to the gender topic. And I, you know me, I'm an ally. I'm for everyone. their thing. But at the same time, I know that, you know, your average Joe down in uh, Georgia is having a hard time with, you know, 70 different genders. And there has to be some concession to that as well. And so I think that we're going to have to find a balance with that in, in our own selves and like what it is that, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like what, how far can we go with the, the details and like the specificities and where do we just need to have compassion for another person and realize right. that, hey, not everybody understands, knows, or can, you know? Right. And where, what's the difference between someone that's trying their best and makes a mistake and yeah. someone that uses it in a derogatory fashion? And how does the power of a word mean that you have given your power over to it? I think Patton Oswald has a, a, like a, a rather funny joke, I think, uh, about who's the true racist on one of his stand-ups, basically, or who's the true bigot, I think, maybe. And he has a, is, it, is it the guy that's at the bar and who's holding his drink and says, you know, I really, I really empathize with the gender non-binary, but it's just something that I didn't grow up with and I can't really socialize comfortably around it. Versus... Yeah, he's the most fun faggot I ever met in my life. Excuse me, I'm, I'm forgive me, I just curse. But like, <laughs> which one is really right? You know, who is truly at heart the one that is intolerant? Yeah, the one that used the politically correct terms to describe their discomfort, or the one that didn't know what they were talking about and said they had the best time of their life with this blank because yeah. they didn't know better. And, and I think also coming to terms on the other side. Please, for any children that may have been listening, please forgive that outburst without warning. But um. Basically, like, like, what? Where is that line of um, people are trying to meet from a place of love, and how do we recognize that when it's genuine? And also, how do we do our best and also know our limitations? Like, I honestly, I mean, even as a very comfortably um, gay and love bisexual and not love um, a male, I, I don't know how to call people sometimes, you know. Mm. I, and so I'll just literally ask, it's so nice to meet you. And now I'm so sorry to ask, but like, how may I call you? You know, or like, 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 how can I refer to you? Like, what is your preferred, what is your preferred prefix? Pro, pronoun. Yeah, pronoun. Yes. And that's just the best way to do it sometimes because everyone's so individual. I met someone once that asked me to call them numinous. <laughs> so I called them <laughs> and numinous. And that's totally my point. And, you know, we can laugh about it. And we are going to be the people that would be like, all right, Numinous. Uh, but, but, you know, there's other people that are just like, I, this is adding more stress to my life when it's already stressful enough, you know, like yes. <laughs> to have to like navigate that. Um, and so... Numinous. Like. Yes. Well, and, you know, and now we can kind of get into that Mercury retrograde and what's going to be going on there. And the fact that, like you said, um, you know, having Virgo rising and essentially our Virgo moon, which is us people in the people's house, is all looking towards Mercury and it's conjunct the descendant there. Uh, and Neptune. And so, and in the seventh house. So the seventh house is the enemy. So it's almost like. <laughs> The people are the, we're our own enemies. 
you know, to yeah, some extent. The allies. The seventh house is the enemies and, and the, the allies. allies. Well, and I guess yeah. I was kind of tr- tie it into also what you're saying about finding that acceptance and finding that, um, mm. that compassion and forgiveness for other people, because here we are uh, talking about, you know, Mercury in Pisces, Neptune in Pisces. And the fact that Mercury retrograde, like uh, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one. Um, but you know, the very idea of, uh, a retrograde is that it is going to bring up, you know, past issues. There are going to be things that are going to come up um, to be looked at once again. So that's mm-hmm. a revision of, of law, a revision of treaties, a, uh, a review of diplomacy and doctrine. I mean, all of these things, absolutely, Mel. Um, Oh, I had such a large, wonderful, juicy point in this. <laughs> It'll come back via conversation. I'll just interject. Yes, yes. When it comes back, oh, this is par for course. The fact that Jack oh, and I yeah. are even tackling this now during the current configuration, like... I know, I feel like <laughs> Superman. I'm a superwoman. Over I know. You go, if, you, right? if you find that we're going around in this, you know, non-linear, yep. <laughs> what's going <laughs> on? Some, um, some cohesive soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, okay, so Mercury retrograde in Pisces in the seventh, you know, the idea of the, of the retrograde just in general means that, you know, something from the past is going to come back up to be looked at, to be re-examined, uh, an issue that we were like, maybe, were you, I thought we were done with this, maybe not. Um, and right. we're seeing a lot of that happen in our society right now where, you know, yes. but it's also, you know, the idea of a retrograde anyways. And to be fair, it is the only planet that is retrograde in this chart. We have to keep in mind when and everything God, else. Thank God, because <laughs> when everything is direct, it's also overwhelm, right? Like there's that principle of almost always there's something retrograde because there's somewhere in our life where there's like an ebb to the flow, but we've been on like a constant faucet for a hot minute here. Mm-hmm. And Mercury being the first and only thing, especially in the condition that it is in, yeah. especially uh, stationing retrograde, like stationing uh, retrograde at the, at, on the anorectic degree of freaking Pisces and retrograding back to its shadow on Neptune. I mean, this is possibly the mercury, the murkiest single yeah. mercury retrograde that we will live through in our lifetime. I mean, just as a singular event outside extraplanetary, extraplanetary cycles, this is a really remarkable alignment of the anoretic degree of Pisces, where Neptune's at, the shadow period, it's all right there in Mercury's detriment. So um, I think it's really... Uh, Important to acknowledge that and say, uh, count my blessings that, um, you know, that my Venusian, Marshall, Saturnian, and Jupiterian principles are all moving forward. forward. (laughs) And that Mercury will move direct again before the next thing, Jupiter going retrograde happens. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, So, well, let's break down what Mercury is. Uh, for our for our listeners here, and so we already said it's in a very interesting condition, almost a laughable condition, to be honest. Almost, and, and you know, you better laugh a little it, bit. You gotta laugh at it. Um, and you know, that retrograde is going to bring up things from the past. It's going to be concerned with internal affairs, so we're going to be very concerned with ourselves. Um, yeah. Now, but Mercury, okay, so Mercury in general in uh, 
And we have to note too, because the ascendant is in Virgo, so it makes it very important, but so is the midheaven. The midheaven is also in Gemini. So we have a double Mercury angle action going on here. And so Mercury is going to uh, reference such things as communications, uh, transportation, Translations, international events. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, Education, um, the teachers, uh, the youth, science, research. Um, I would, I would even say, especially conjunct the seventh there. um, You know, trade, transactionary type of stuff. Yes. Litigation and contracts, uh, treaties between nations as well. Although you would really need to see an interaction with Saturn in order for there to be a signed treaty that gets ratified kind of thing. Well, Saturn mm-hmm. is supporting our Mercury over there in Capricorn. It is, which is, is rather great, actually. Usually that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the benefic aspects. Even though they're two malefics, they're in a place where they both, it's like, you know, one evildoer looks to the next and they're both about to die and they say, you want to help out one another? <laughs> and they reach out each other's arms and, you know, they save each other through one another's wiles. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's something very conspicuous the trying to me always feels like someone reaching out their arm from above in the overcoming position and pulling up someone from below in the, in the, in the position that is being overcome. Right. Mm. So even though Mars is perfecting the angle, Saturn is reaching its hand down to Mars. The power of construction and uh, established uh, circumstance is reaching out its hand to the force of will and, uh, uh, attention made manif- uh, intention made manifest through action. So there is this amazing support of the established structure in its own sign reaching out to the force of our will in this world, uh, Mars and Taurus, if you will, yeah. and ability to construct. There's a really accessible energy of uh, building and shaping, especially as we are driving the caboose kind of thing, yeah. um, which is, uh, this is a rare, I think I would say it's a rarely positive combination of malefics, especially because Venus is also exactly squaring Mars. Yes. And so mitigating a lot of Mars's detriment. Yes. And well, okay. So I have some theories on that. So we're going to pair Venus and Mars together and we will keep that Saturn uh, trine as a consideration. But before we move on, let's finish up with Mercury because I found it very, I found it very interesting with Mercury retrograde there. You know, it's in the seventh and we've already said that this is such things as foreign relation, uh, agreements, Mm non-agreements, treaties, alliances, opposing. Where are our boundaries? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was my whole thing with the, and that's a very important thing with, uh, Mercury retrograde in this position conjunct Neptune because the driving outer planetary aspects of this year, one of the main ones is Jupiter square Neptune. And I think that this particular placement is really just emphasizing that square even more. And I had asked, I had asked that same question within that aspect is where is the limit? And so this, that is going to be there now to play within that to have Mercury afflicted, because essentially it is, in the seventh house there, uh, Nicholas Campion, I think that's how you say, he's a very uh, prominent Mm -hmm. mundane astrologer. He says that when Mercury is afflicted in this house, uh, in a mundane chart, we are looking at uh, double dealing with other powers, 
So we're already kind of seeing that within the court cases. It's the seventh thing. You yeah. know, we're looking at the, the Mueller investigating all those things. Uh, diplomatic blunders, which we're getting quite used to. Um, <laughs> breaking of treaties, which is maybe that's part of what will be back on the the table because we already have broken some treaties or like we're in the discussions of that um and, and just basically general disagreement in in uh in international affairs so i think with this mercury in general like it's going to have that internal effect where we like we discussed already but i think it's going to uh make a very you know potentially confusing situation with uh how we are putting ourselves how we are communicating ourselves out there as a country in the world and then how people are even perceiving us um as a country and yeah. where we're going there's just going to be a confusion there and uh it blunder is is a, <laughs> a great word diplomatic blunders <laughs> and so it, what's interesting is that mercury is both in in detriment and it's in both fall and uh and Exile or detriment in Pisces, right? And so these actually have distinct definitions. So something in fall, um, which is like opposite exaltation, right? Something in fall is considered to be, uh, have more of the feel of like something that is socially reprehensible or ostracized Mm -hmm. rather than being physically incapacitated or malfunctioning, which would be something that would be out of rulership, like in in detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we have both with Mercury and Pisces. I know. For me, in the seventh house, this means that we as a country, and this is sort of, this is true, not sort of, this is true, we're being seen as being ineffective with our internal structure and how we've organized things, as well as having a reduced perception of exaltation in the global community. Mm-hmm. Like it's both a perception of you have less privilege and you're actually not doing a good job and have a flawed system. And that's not to say that the other superpowers have a better system. I'm not saying that India and China, the other superpowers of the world, like have a freaking, have a better, or and Russia have a quote, better system. They have a different system. Every system is problems, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's problems. And there's are more still along the more authoritarian lines, which is an old structure. So we do need to in some ways consider our problems to be those of a nation with more free choice, perhaps mm-hmm. we could say. But it doesn't mean that they don't have to be addressed. It would certainly be easier to quote solve our problems by becoming authoritarian about how to solve them, but that would in the long run create more problems with that arise in the way that problems arise in authoritarian structures. Like we have to solve our problems within the context of how our system is already more advanced. Right. Mm. Um, I, I do think we're on that road, but we have some hard lessons to learn still as a populace to snap us out of this ideologue, ideological, like left versus right. I have my channel and you have your channel. This has not existed since the civil war. Like, and since, uh, well, and since in the late eighties, when the laws were changed, the anti-yellow journalism laws of the 1940s were changed to allow news organizations to perpetuate a single platform before they were required by law to give equal time to multiple viewpoints on an issue, 
That is no longer the case as of the late 80s. Suddenly, Fox News and MSNBC are allowed to happen because they do not have to give equal time to opposing viewpoints. Mm. That has damaged us in terms of our ability to synthesize independent opinion. Yeah, that's that's very... Uh, this is a very <laughs> it comes in for the win. Um, that's an excellent, excellent point. And before we move on to Venus and Mars, uh, since we're already here and we're already marrying these ideas together, let's talk about Neptune real quick. We're going to jump ahead in our planetary order because of its intricacy mm-hmm. with this Mercury retrograde. Um, so Neptune in the mundane chart, um, and in this particular one, so we're back to seventh, you know, we're all the things we we're discussing here. And so Neptune, we're looking at such things as social programs, um, the people that are less advantaged, you know, in whatever form that may look, uh, drug problems, drug companies. <laughs> uh, we know we have a severe issue there and something that I thought with this Jupiter-Neptune uh, square and how this, um, and the fact that we get our opiates from other countries. <laughs> and, the, and the ingress of Neptune into Pisces coincided with the rise of the opioid epidemic. Well, then there I we mean, go. And so, but it's also, look, Neptune's also yeah. tapping into the idealism that Jack and I were just talking about. Yeah. Uh, but also socialism um, and the, con- you know, being, having confusion, having d- the disillusion of something, which I think about Mercury retrograde and Pisces and like uh, California, you know, we have how many roads with these crazy rains that are literally just deteriorating and blocking right. people in. And so we have infrastructure issues, that Mercury and that transportation. This is a big issue for us. We're not addressing it. But also in this last one, which I, I question <laughs> just because of, you know, the current leadership and that's subversive approaches. And so, you know, that's the idea that, you know, it's like I said before, the countries we work with are likely going to be confused with us or not know where we stand in some way, or it's possible that we are going to be canoodling with the enemy in a subversive way. And that's already coming up to the forefront and what is on the topic of people's lips right now is, you know, as we look at these investigations and, and Trump and Russia and all that. And so there is that Neptunian subversiveness too. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Excellent questions. Um, so this is exactly, oh, there is this Neptunian subversiveness, this uh, dissolution. Um, I think that it's a really intelligent, uh, parallel to draw to the deteriorating roads in California that are being literally like erased. They're like eroding, like just before us, you know, just like take the map and their lines. You just like, like erase those lines right off the map. Who needs those roads? You don't need to get out of your town anymore. What's a state? It's a country. What's that? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, I I think that that is just such an excellent point. I I also think that the glamorous nature of Neptune has to be brought into here. Yes. Because yes. even though there's all all of the, there are all of these extreme symptoms of excessive wetness. So if both Jupiter and Venus, what they have in common versus the malefics, right? The malefics are both dry and the benefics are both wet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, right, like Mars is hot dryness and Saturn is cold dryness, and Jupiter is like warm slash temperate hot dryness, and Venus is cool slash temperate. Or, I mean, wetness, and Jupiter is like warm slash hot-tempered wetness. Um, so there is this 
idea that wetness brings more benefits or that wetness brings um, all of the all of this beauty and ease. And Neptune is where we can let the principle of wetness really override our logic. Like everything will be just so great if it gets more wet. Like right. <laughs> Oh my God, that's hilarious. I I just heard this uh, one comedian, I can't think of her name right now, but she started talking about how women these days, she's like, why is everyone so wet? Because everyone's using like <laughs> oil on their faces and like the more glow you have. And she's like, why is everyone, you just look like you're dripping. And like, <laughs> and I, anyways, I thought that was funny. Sure, the benefics. Yeah. Sure, why not? Like an excess of wetness. There's too much of a good thing. There's too much ice cream and sugar and your mansion's too big. It's time for a dryness check. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and Jack, to play back to what you're saying about glamour and like spectacle and things along those lines, because I think that's an excellent point, especially since we have, you know, the type of media explosion that we've had that has really glamorized things or like made things larger than life. And, you know, we have a spectacle happening every day, especially in our, <laughs> in our politics. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, read um, just a little, like I get, you know, Vice sent to me every day and I just read a headline and it, and it just immediately went into my mind, you know, Mercury retrograde, Neptune in the ingress chart. And so it said, um, when it comes to the stories we share on the internet, the line between empirical truth and emotional truth can be extremely hard to parse. And I was like, oh, you know, that speaks so much to the Jupiter-Neptune square. It speaks to uh, the issues of us having a hard time getting, you know, deciphering what the truth is and the, this laughable Mercury that we're talking about. And so I saw this as kind of a setup for what we're looking at as well. You know, the line between empirical truth and emotional truth, which is important, you know, which is, mm-hmm. which is right, you know, like what, and, and, and really the emotional truth because emotions can become larger than life, right? It is kind of the spectacle. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I do. I was actually, I was listening to, oh goodness, I should have written down, but basically I was listening to a talk on YouTube with this woman who's a famous sociopath and author. She always has her name anonymized and her face and voice distorted in interviews. Mm. There's a heavy stigma for sociopaths, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. So a sociopath is someone that doesn't feel emotion for other people, right? They lack the capacity for true empathy, right? Mm. So everything in life becomes oriented towards being an individual with needs and goals. However, as this author and like woman was pointing out that's all you know is she's a woman um or identifies as such um <laughs> See? Is that, right right yep, is that, well i think well, a few quotes stood out to me like you know i've come to understand that it's always better to have a great team and even though i'm the lead coach and the star player i have to have a great team which is like a weirdly higher perspective on having friends and family for a sociopath than other ways of understanding them. You know what I mean? And also, interestingly enough, very Neptunian, sociopaths do apparently respond to art. Even though they can't empathize with other people's stories, certain visual or musical arts can reach them in a visceral way 
and engender an emotion, mm. but not people. Interesting. Which is very interesting, super duper interesting. But I thought it was an amazing application of how someone that, oh, oh, and the way it was the way that she described the tendencies of a sociopath that made me think of Mercury retrograde in Pisces. Because she said, even though I understand these things, I have to constantly watch myself for my own self-observed sociopathic tendency to abbreviate the full event just to shortcut to what I need from you and how to get you to do it, right? So even if by knowing the full story, best friend, you would still do this task for me, I don't want to spend half an hour telling you a full story because I don't care that much. I'm just going to shortcut to the few details you need to hear to think it happened this way to take action, mm-hmm. right? And so that's even in its highest form, that's not a lie, but it's intentionally removing huge chunks of the truth in order to knit together why the story is relevant for that particular friend or family member, almost to the point where if they were to discuss it themselves, they wouldn't know they were talking about the same event, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's a really honest thing for, for like a, a retrograde uh, Mercury in Pisces to acknowledge, right? Sometimes shortcutting what really happened to get motivation, to communicate what is needed, like it seems to be the best option, but it's one that, 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 you know, honestly, it might be your best option in this situation. We all have circumstances in life where omitting certain chunks of the truth uh, are going to be super relevant, you know, or going to be super helpful. Like, you know, uh, like, no, professor, I did not smoke marijuana before this test. Like, sorry, like, or, you, know, you don't have to deny it, but like, I was late because I was up to, I was up, I was late to class and therefore missed this quiz because I was up too late last night smoking out with my friends. No, you say, I missed my alarm. And I'm so sorry. How can I make up, like, make that up to you, dear professor? Um, and that is actually a better way to communicate that need and that circumstance. Because knowing that extra detail would actually make the story less meaningful. Yeah. Right? yeah that's, <laughs> that's a Mercury and Pisces retrograde lesson right there. Yeah, and, and really having the moon opposed Virgo plays into that because I think we're going to get a lot of the example that you just gave and we're not necessarily going to feel uh, satisfied by that. Or, you know, like... <laughs> like almost too many deets if you just phrased it how it felt for you, I would almost have more empathy than if you had given me all the deets and revealed. Yeah, well, that's an interesting. or the naivete. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting point. Definitely. All right. Now let's move on to Venus and Mars because if we don't, we will have like a three hour podcast. We're going to be super forever. Okay. So now, so we're going to, we're going to pair Venus and Mars together here. Um, mainly because this is like the tightest aspect I think that is happening in the chart is Venus is square Mars. Um, and then very shortly after, like hours after Venus and Jupiter have that lovely sextile. sextile. Yeah. But first it is the Mars Venus. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Venus and Mars and then we'll, I guess technically it's the moon and then Venus and Mars, but yes. Oh, yes. Chiron. Yeah. Um, So, 
Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the moon opposing the sun, then opposing Chiron, and then that Venus square Mars. So that's kind of our order of, uh, <laughs> our order of business. Um, okay. So now Venus, I mean, Venus square Mars, before I even get into the details of it, immediately I'm thinking, you know, the feminine is at odds with the masculine and in many ways, which we were already, we already see. <laughs> like, that's nothing new here. Um, and the fact that we have the moon, like we said before, approaching an opposition with the sun and the moon being that feminine principle as well, you know, we are seeing both the moon and the, and Venus, uh, making tense aspects to these more, uh, you know, um, male masculine type of figures. And so, Okay, so first we have Venus, uh, who's in Aquarius, which is a whole... And this is the thing, too, which is fascinating to me, Jack, is that Venus is in Aquarius, which is essentially a masculine sign. Mars is in Taurus, which is essentially a feminine sign. So they're at odds, but they're in the signs that are more aligned with, you know, like... Exactly. And you have the moon in a trine in Libra with Venus, and you have, even more specifically, Mars in reception in Taurus with Venus during that square. So the square can be seen as the most tense or manifesting principle, right? The conjunction means it's already present in the manifestation. The opposition means that there is a choice, like a dichotomous choice and an empowerment of choosing both and, perhaps. Mm. But the square is where there is the most specific tension for something obvious to happen in the life, right? Yeah. And... Venus is squaring Mars, this massively tense manifesting aspect, but Mars is in Venus's fucking house and Venus is overcoming Mars. Yes. So there's this double whammy of it like getting hit, hit, hit wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Um, uh, yeah. Between these... Uh, between these principles. Um, and I do think that this is one session where the feminine principle... Uh, overrides whatever separation or anxiety or problems of ego that Mars has presented. Yeah. Well, and we, and like we were just saying too, you know, Venus is also going to go on right after that to make that nice sextile with Jupiter who is in a solid position. So I think, I think that feminine energy is, is, is definitely, you know, having a boost uh, here. Could be a good Fertility day for those that are looking that are looking to conceive. Honestly, when you have that aspect of Venus to Mars immediately followed by Jupiter, like you, like uh, Venus is the factor of fertility. Jupiter is the moment when fertility strikes. Yeah. Not to mention well, it will be that full moon in Libra. If we, right. we get rid of our ingress right now, we're just talking about what's going on right now. If this hits you for the right places in your chart and you're trying to, you're trying to conceive, like this could be a fabulous freaking time to have that, to, like, you know, to, this Aries ingress could be a great time to yeah. conceive, honestly. To get busy. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. You don't want that adequate contraception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been warned. Um, that's funny. All right. So we have Venus. So let's break it down a little bit here. Let's look at Venus first. Um, so Venus is in Aquarius, which is an interesting place for Venus just overall. You know, we get a more detached uh, uh, humanitarian Venus, which uh, speaks to a lot of what we talked about already. Um, and, you know, the fact that we have this like overly 
uh, not overly, not overly at all, but very strong female presence in our uh, political system right now. Um, and just in general in the world and, you know, the women have been stepping up. It's, I think that speaks to that Aquarius, you know, humanitarian ideal because the women are out for, to help the women, but they're also out to help people because we care. <laughs> um, but just Venus in the chart in general, yes, it has those, that women, you know, it's representing those women. Uh, it's representing things like fertility rates. It's representing uh, arts and entertainment, first and foremost, the entertainment industry. Um, but even back to that kind of glamour we were talking about with Neptune, that can be there for Venus as well. Um, but And also, you know, the idea of pleasure and, and leisure and uh, a state of peace or union within the state itself to be able to enjoy pleasure, you know, (laughs) because that's a big thing as well. And I think Saturn in the fifth is not going to help that, but that we're not (laughs) not there yet. Right. Um, And uh, yeah, I think Jupiter gives you cake, Venus eats it too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, okay. So Venus's cake is in an interesting spot. So, so Venus is hanging out in the sixth house, which is not necessarily that's the thing is both Venus and Mars are not necessarily in houses that have like that pivotal power, like the planets we talked about earlier with the moon um, and Mercury and Neptune and of course Jupiter down at the bottom. So, you know, there we're getting stuff out of there, but it's not necessarily in a place that is really super dynamic. Um, but Venus is in the sixth house. And so the sixth house, mundane wise, we're looking at uh, the workers and the people that are employed by people. We're looking at labor unions. We're looking at public health. This is another reason I think healthcare is going to be up on the, you know, and up and reform, you know, essentially, because we got Venus and Aquarius is looking to reform and improve and innovate. Um, right. So and we got that public health, medical yes. services, workers, uh, the civil servant who's out to help. Yes. Absolutely. And you know what? It is absolutely a time for action. And both parties need to step up to the plate with this. Especially, well, I mean, especially, forgive me saying, especially the Republican Party, but both parties need to come forth with a concrete alternative plan to the current system of health care. The Dems were the first to get one in and the first to pass meaningful legislation, and it had to happen because we were at a place where, where two parents working two full-time minimum wage jobs apiece could never afford to pay for a sick child. You know yeah. what I mean? That's literally where we were at, uh, where we are at. Right. That's <laughs> where we're at. So if the system as one likes it is wrong, then put forth an alternative to be implemented and tried. I mean, here's here's something on both sides of the debate that hasn't been mentioned much. People decry and bemoan, oh, but we'll come to the point where, you know, we're paying more, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're paying more than we need to for healthcare. That's already here. Like, that point is already here. There are no hospitals or um, clinics that go bankrupt in this country. Do you know who pays that? It's the federal government. Everyone that does not have insurance that comes here from another nation that does not have insurance because their country is required because they need socialized health care to people that are here illegally that need medical care to people that are too poor to afford coverage. All of these people 
end up getting footed at the level of their bill by the U.S. government. We already pay more per capita in this country per uninsured person than other countries pay for their entire populace because of the way our insurance is structured. That's already a present tense reality. Like, I, I, it's a hum, hum, and a hum, and a hum, and a tangent. Well, and you know, and we started the conversation with Aries and Chiron in the eighth house insurance, right? right. So we literally are seeing this, uh, and you're absolutely right, insurance is the huge problem because it's based in that system. You know, that's, that's the system that we're working with. And like you said, we're paying more out for the people that don't have it based on these price points that these corporations have put forward when we can almost pay for everyone, you know, using the same money that we're already using, but we're letting the corporation just, you know, run away with it. And here's the kicker. The wealthy can always, pay for express care. The biggest hang-up people have for a socialized system is that you'll have to wait. Sure, if you need a skin cancer removal and this person needs heart valve surgery, they are prioritized above you in a socialized system, right? And people fear the wait. That's a realistic fear. But if you have enough money to pay for it anyway, you will always be able to find a doctor yeah, immediately, right? So if you can, if you couldn't afford to pay rent in the first place, it's a moot point. You don't have an ability to have that procedure under the current system if one cannot afford it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then the fact that, okay, so we're looking at Venus and Aquarius in the sixth, you know, improving these things that we just discussed and it's squaring that Mars mm. in Taurus in detriment too, you know, because here's the thing is like the, the action that is taken because it's going to be in the ninth and the ninth does have to do with legal systems here, you know? Sure. And so detriment is essentially, this is one of those cases where maybe detriment can work in our favor because it can't yes. hold its position, you know? That's right. Like, yeah. And, it's in, and it, yes, it's in detriment. So it's weakened and it can't uphold its position and it's in Venus's house and being overcome by Venus. I feel like this is one moment where the, where Mars is getting schooled, yo, you know what I mean? Like it's literally yeah. like, surrounded by all sides. The teacher and the classroom is like, get in the dunce corner and he still has to do all of his work by the end of the day, you know? Yeah. But but somehow in this particular Mars setup has a life-changing realization throughout this process. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, You also, this is the types of things, you know, because essentially Venus is, is, contending with that Mars, but is also supported by one of the strongest planets in the chart, if not maybe the strongest just by position, and that's Jeff Jupiter. Um, now, Mars in the ninth. So Mars, just in general, we're looking at, we are looking at war. We're looking at military, uh, police, um, anywhere we have conflict essentially. Um, Militants or militia, you know, that's a thing that comes up a lot uh, with um, just, we think about Mars and Taurus and like the whole gun issue and, you know, like the real, Stu's telling me every, all the time, he's like, you know, you don't realize people with these guns, they have their own, this can be a militia state at any moment, you know, because, you know, people have these stockpiles of guns and, you know, I don't want to put that fear because that's not what I'm about. But at the same time, I'm like, there's truth in that. Um, So that's a Mars types of thing. Uh, Whether or not that conflict is 
within the realms of the state or, you know, like regulated in some way. Um, uh, so, but also national aggression just in general, where we're fired up. And then essentially what is either holding us together through we're fired up in a unity or what drives us apart. And, you know, having our unifying principle of Venus squaring this Marshall one, um, I don't think it's necessarily going to bring us together um, <laughs> in the way that we would like it to. But um, Sure, yeah. but I think that the energetically speaking, it's more that the energy of Venus is surrounding and permeating that of Mars in this case, because Venus is overcoming and Mars is in her house. So, um, and the greater benefit of sect is also aiding, if we choose it via sextile, remember the ninja star on the table, if we choose it, Jupiter helping Venus, then there is an enormous amount of power to regulate this Mars or to use ninth house is a, the legal system and the higher components of philosophy. So using the congressional system to chastise the actions that have been taken in haste or in ego, or using uh, the estab- like the congressional hearings, the established system of uh, equitable governance, whatever that means, um, <clears throat> using that system uh, for punitive action or the collective healing, uh, right? Venus, the ability to soften and bring um, uh, empathy and agape. Venus, Venus is in touch, uh, especially in Pisces, that's why it's exalted, but in general, Venus is the place where we can get in touch with agape, which is the Greek term for what you might call Christ's love, the, the ability to love everyone from where it is appropriate. I can love everyone as my brother or sister or neighbor in this world, and I can love my lover and my children and parents or mentors as appropriately as well. I can love everyone as appropriate based on our relationship. Christ's love, agape. Mm. Venus is our root into that principle, especially in Pisces. That's why she's exalted in Pisces. Venus is especially in touch with with agape there. And she is approaching it, though not in it, of course, in Aquarius. Yeah, (laughs) we'll have to wait for that moment. We'll have to wait for it. So Aquarius is much more about the rules and regulations and the ideas as they stand, the ideological structure, Capricorn, the physical Aquarius, the ideological or written structure of law. And um, so it is from there where we could maybe begin that process. Um, it doesn't mean Mars will give us problems or like we're not touching a hot stove. Yes. Tons of mitigation. Well, that's a great point. It's, it's not that it's going to uh, go all that easily. It just means, <laughs> you know, and it, you know what dawned on me? Um, uh, it, okay, a couple things dawned on me as you were talking, and especially when you were just bringing up, you know, Venus being about the rules and Aquarius there, because essentially Venus is looking back to Saturn. But Saturn's looking to Mars, you know, so the, because the, the Mars and Saturn are in the trine. So the malefics are flowing together. And then we have Venus and Jupiter who are in the sextile who are also flowing. But like you said, it needs a little bit more work. It's not just a kind of a given. And so there's this weird, you know, circumnavigation of these planets working together, but essentially Jupiter and Saturn are in aversion to one another. So there, I think it's, it's, it's going to be interesting and it's not going to be clear cut and really nothing about this ingress says anything is clear cut. It's more of like, we're going to have to wade through a variety of issues um, and have a lot of 
potential conflict, ideological conflict, yes. uh, because we're talking about Mars in the ninth. And so Mars, uh, the ninth house, we're looking at those belief systems, the legal systems. Um, we're looking at religious organizations or even religious doctrine. And how that, like, you know, emphasizes the legislation. Uh, we're looking at foreigners. So we're back to that Mars in an aggressive foreigner space when we already have how much going on in the seventh house and that descendant. Um, and then also the university system, which I think that Mars here, and especially uh, Venus squaring from Aquarius, I think we're going to have a hard, long look at the student loan crisis and, you know, what is going on. Yes. Tourists and money. And, you know, like, I think that is going to be up for... uh, Absolutely. And how we have come to value money as a society, because the ninth house is ritualized religion, right? The third house is ceremony and ritual, but the ninth house is ritualized religion. The difference between I go to church every Sunday, ninth house, and I went to a baptism, the third house right? An event of ritual versus ritualized religion regularly. And what do we in the United States, Taurus in the Ninth House, worship above all else? Oh, it's money. 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 (laughs) And it's true. We, record numbers of People are leaving regular worship service, and I'm not going to say that that's necessarily a problem. People have been disillusioned by regular religion, but we have not come to an alternative that is socially accepted to regularly praise or invest our energies in, and that which we praise every day or acknowledge every day as being worthy of our love is that which we worship. And so apart from family, the only thing people these days are worshiping much, unless they, you know, worship astrology or magic or uh, some other sort of alternative faith, they worship money. We worship money. Almighty dollar. With alternative faiths worship money because that's where the power is at right now. Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent, excellent point. And to bring Mars back into the focus of our original Mm -hmm. uh, sun in Aries, you know, our head of state there, what's driving, you know, what's driving here, the whole thing that we're looking at, you know, the Aries, Aries is ruled by Mars. So, you know, that, that sun is looking to Mars and, you know, Mars in the ninth and in Taurus, cause you know, we're driving something home. So there, there's the stubbornness and there's a bullheadedness literally to this position, especially since mm-hmm. Mars is a driving force. And, you know, the fact that it's in the ninth is just going to, uh, I think perpetuate more foreign aggression, to be honest. And we already see that. We, you know, we got talks of a wall. We got, um, you know, just just the head of state's aggressive a policy in working with other people and like almost isolating ourselves and aligning with people that were like, why would you align with that? Um, so I think yeah. that that's still going to be, there's still going to be that foreign aggression that is definitely at play. Uh, there's going to be some dogmatic religion that gets at play too. Um, yeah. that, like, like you said, I think Venus is going to overcome these things, but this, that they're still going to be on the forefront to be overcome. And right. having that, uh, when I think of dogmatic religion, all I think about is the fact that one of the strongest support systems right now for our current president is actually the evangelicals. You know, And so there's a huge religious force that is driving the presidency right now 
now, even though he can't quote a Bible verse on, you know, like when asked, <laughs> you know, um, so that's another Mars and detriment, right? <laughs> Couldn't list a single of the Ten Commandments. Like. Not a one. <laughs> I was like, I don't say specifics. I don't, you know. Like, that was a really funny interview, but. <laughs> um, uh, thou shalt not interview. Yeah, that I don't. <laughs> and so, so we are looking at that. I think foreign aggression is going to be up there. We're looking at religious, you know, uh, things getting in there. We're looking at that student loans, high debt. Um, we also might be looking at airline stuff. I know this is a, a, something that came up recently. We've had a couple, um, Boeings have had a couple crashes uh, for some yeah. of their new airplanes that have come out. And so people are like, wait, I just ordered, you know, all these are on order. And, you know, those planes are built in the U.S. So that's a, this is a situation for us because this is, it's manufactured here. Um, so, and I mean, just the airline industry in general, because as ninth as, you know, we're talking about long distance communications, long trips, shipping, yes. we could have issues with shipping uh, things, and this could get into that trade area this as well. Long established pathways. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering with, you know, the airlines are going to be brought up or there's going to be some conflict uh, to look at there, not only with these, you know, planes coming out and getting clear on, on those, man, you know, tourist manufacturing. We're looking at this, you know, earthly <laughs> uh, putting the pieces together to get something. And um, that mar- martial ego of saying, wait until April to fix those, to fix those flaws in the, in the coding for those right. Yeah. Right? That martial ego of just let it fly is how we're doing it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> All the rest <laughs> are flying. Why do yeah. I, Or, I mean, even to look at if we go back to Taurus and the idea of money, you know, like, it's, air, you know, it's just getting more expensive to fly. We're getting more crammed in. It's not the experience it used to be by any such means. You know, Taurus, we want comfort. We want, we, something needs to happen yes. here because this is, you know. <laughs> Oh, um, until, and then and then you have like the counter to that exact energy. I don't know if you've seen, but Qatar Airways has just been advertising their new planes in business class. You can get business class suites oh. with four. You can put a family of four in one basically room with fully reclining seats where they can sleep. And they also have a shared table for the meals. And each, every person has their own monitor and like personal, like, system of amazingness interesting oh yeah so you have these dichotomous right polarities of cramming people into those freaking like planes and like regular american travel is getting more and more crammed and then you have the ultra luxuries getting so ultra luxurious right so we're back there at this great divide you know the great divide (laughs) which really speaks to just this the full moon energy in this chart Mm -hmm. as well that's interesting jack you know because last time i flew you know and about to do it again here when we go to norwalk but um you know i'm a small person i'm a small woman and I, I am cramped in that in in those seats. I can't even imagine how you would feel as you know a six, as a six foot, foot plus. Male. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, uh, yes. Anyway, so that's just on Mars. 
Now let's move on to two of our strong planets here. Uh, and that's Jupiter and Sagittarius in the fourth and Saturn and Capricorn in the fifth. Um, so now Jupiter really ties into that Venus that we were talking about. And Jupiter is going to be in a place of strength because Jupiter is not only in its sign of domicile, Sagittarius, but it's also in the fourth, um, which is a strong pivotal house. Now, Jupiter, we're looking at uh, the church, clergy, courts, senators, judges, universities, the legal system. So, you know, that it's overlapping with the ninth house themes we were talking about earlier. Um, it's, it's a, so we're seeing overlaps of planets in different places. Right. Um, but so, okay, so we're looking at those, those factors, but within the fourth house. And so the fourth house is essentially our land our agriculture, uh, the housing market, real estate, uh, just living conditions in general, um, and the traditions of the country and the foundations that the society is basically based on. And, you know, depending on the planet there, are we upholding that? Are we, you know, what are we doing with that? Um, But number one, we do have to say is that essentially this is the opposition to the government because the fourth house is the opposing house to the 10th, um, which is that government position. Uh, So, you know, it's interesting to have Jupiter in the fourth there. I see some positive things that could come from that, but I also see some things that might flare up because of it as well. I mean, what do you think, Jack? Well, um, I... I have to admit that it, uh, I, well, I mean, I agree with you. I completely agree. <laughs> so, so here's an example, like, because the fourth in itself is like, is, is the land, right? right. But, but also the love of the land. And so uh, Ni- Nicholas Campione said as well, if I'm saying his last name right, um, that actually this position can suggest uh, in this house uh, the representation of nationalism because it is the love yes. of the land. Um, but it can also tap into socialism and what is needed for the common person. So we sure. see two sides, you know. Absolutely. And I also see, you know, in this chart, I see so much of where we have come and so much of the direction we're in right now. So the whole, I'm looking at the Aries ingress chart here. And uh, just for those that have access to the chart or that can envision this in their mind, I'm looking at yeah. the- And I will put uh, it on my blog, by the way, so people know mm-hmm. what we're looking at. <laughs> so I'm looking at the second quadrant. So we're talking about houses four, five, and six, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got Jupiter down here, more than 10 degrees away from the IC, right? So even though it's in the fourth house, Jupiter is lo- not really considered angular in this. Yeah, case. it's not as potent as, say, our Mercury and Neptune. Yeah. Yes, it's a factor in the context of the, of the chart in that specific area, but it's not manifesting presently profound, in a profound sort of way. And then we have Saturn in rulership in the fifth house, right? That which we create our passion projects as a nation, uh, where we feel good as a nation doing something right now. We feel really good as a nation debating whether or not to build a wall, which is Saturn. I know, right? <laughs> but we feel great debating this, you know? Well, it's like, you are wrong, but this is this. And I am right because this is the, But, you know, like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> I see Venus, I see Venus overcoming Mars in this square between these wonderful cardinal signs, 
but I see Venus being ruled by Saturn in aversion to itself. Yeah. So it's where are the present realities, the grounded realities of, of our creative projects? Where is that, where does that not align with the collective nature of our mutually shared litigations and contracts? Um, and Venus overcoming Mars in this in this position of the ninth house in Taurus, I just see Venus sort of being the way the way and and then Jupiter as well in this position of the homeland uh, are both in places where I feel that their benefic energies speak to our past. I think that Jupiter speaks to the fact that we were created by a bunch of uh, as a country by a bunch of forward thinking. Uh, uh, men of the West that decided to go forth and seek freedom. And incidentally, unfortunately, along the way, we repressed a whole bunch of people on established lands, Mars and Taurus. And even though we have established ourselves in the good graces of the world via litigation and treaty and displays of power in the, in the more recent past, uh, Venus overcoming Mars and Taurus by square, but also by rulership, I think that that is wearing thin and that our continued outward actions of overstepping really the authority of our bounds, uh, what say do we really have as Americans in a, in a different nation um, to impose a different kind of government or a different currency? I think that our established way of being since the world wars um, has shift is shifting, and that even though Mars or our problems uh, in in the ninth house, our problems in foreign lands, are currently being overcome by softness, by precedent, by love, and by litigation. Venus and Aquarius, I think that that's wearing thin, mm. and that this is a fleeting arrangement. You know, mm. um, even if future leaders are better with diplomacy, they will now have a harder time because of our current... Ah, that's such a great point. That is such a great point, Jack. I saw I saw your... Like, the wheels were turning. <laughs> that's a fantastic point because, you know, it, uh, history plays off of itself, right? You know, mm-hmm. what we have to work with is based off of what we you know, just did or have done. Um, so, the, and you know, that speaks to that Saturnian principle because that's, you know, Saturn's very rooted and it, it's the very nature of Saturn is holding on to the power, you know, the power it has for, you know, increased control because Saturn, especially in Capricorn, and as we get to conjunction with Pluto, which won't technically be you know, start the new cycle until next year. Um, but, you know, there is that Saturn is making that power play in some way. Um, Saturn represents things as the elderly, uh, conservatism, um, poverty, you know, the poverty rate, authority for authority's sake, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that is, t- and mining, you know, that's an, another big thing. They always talk about, all oh, the Saturn people talk about coal. The coal industry is not dead, you know, <laughs> these are right. Saturn people. Um, but the world needs this. You mean the established coal industry needs this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and then having this take place in the fifth house, you know, like you said earlier, um, the fifth house is that pleasure point, that leisure, the leisure industry, uh, children, 
Um, and uh, we're back to that entertainment or the, the lottery, the national lottery, uh, sports functions, social functions, um, the birth rate. Uh, I think the birth rate is probably going to be lower than it's ever been this year, especially with Saturn in the fifth conjunct Pluto, <laughs> you know, um, with a Mars trine and Taurus that is not in its its best uh, position. And so I think we're going to be a little lower in the numbers uh, this year. Um, and really, I think that it's going to maybe put a damper on, you know, the inter- entertainment industry or just entertainers being able to step up it can go either way. The entertainers might be able to step up and use their power for authority. Um, or, right. they're, or they're going to be like a lot of, you know, conservative people or, or like the entertainment people don't know anything or don't listen to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, that's so fascinating. I just read this article. I'm so glad you mentioned that because like Mars and Taurus can be seen as like what I like to listen to, right? Like how do I like to have to take in pleasure? How do I like to ingest art? And it can be really individual. And then Venus is, is how do I enjoy or how do I invite other people to enjoy art with me kind of thing. I just read an article in the Washington Post um, uh, maybe a week ago that was all about the difference between the emerging genre of, quote, Americana Mm. versus, quote, country. Hmm. Basically, it, it was, I can't remember what group this is, but it was summarized in quotes from like a song from an Americana artist, the difference between country and Americana. And it was something like our lyrics are all biblical. Our Twitter feed is liberal. (laughs) 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 Americana being like country or liberally minded folk or like that, that aesthetic of sound for people that have liberal core values versus country being more of a right-wing oriented genre with that same sound. That's so um, interesting. Yeah, but there hasn't been a need for that distinction before because a new phenomenon the last 10 years is the social expectation that the artists we listen to also identify with our beliefs, Mm. which hasn't really existed before in this country. Like the need for an artist to believe what I believe in order for me to listen to them or that genre hasn't been a benchmark of standard, right? Even before integration, amazing Black musicians were able to get into the ears of white listeners without them thinking like, oh, I can't listen because they're Black. I listen because their music's great. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. We're currently at a point of our social evolution where we are expecting our artists to not just reflect art of our current times back to us, but if I'm going to spend my money to fund you and your life, then you better believe what I believe kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's interesting and possibly a slippery slope. <laughs> um, and uh, no, that's a great point, Jack. That's a great point. That opens up so many things that I could possibly talk about, but I think <laughs> I don't think we have time for that. I'm just glad you, you brought that up because it's something to consider um, and it's just where we're at. Um, now, okay, so we're just going to wrap this up because we could talk forever on but I will just say real quick about Uranus and Taurus. You know, Uranus is basically the only planet that is not making an aspect to anybody. 
So Uranus is kind of sticking out there like a sore thumb almost um, and is in the ninth whole sign house. Uh, but in the eighth, if you're looking at a, a house, um, you know, device house system. Um, and so Uranus is, you know, that technology, uh, kind of unruly events, revolutions, uh, innovations, some sort of upheaval, you know, where there's change, economic change, you know, it is in Taurus now, but also reform. And, um, you know, I see that this is, I think this also speaks to some of the upheaval and reform that we were talking about earlier, especially with the, you know, educational debt, because like you said, with the, um, with the, the, uh, health system and how the essentially the, the government is paying for all you know the people that are insured for whatever that looks like and we're you know shelling that out well it's the same thing with student loans because the student loans is essentially um for the longest time were backed by government dollars and so it would still come back to that as well so this is a but that's changed there's um you know who did an excellent episode on the educational or the student debt crisis was uh, Asira Sari. Is that what his name is? Uh, it's called The Patriot Act on Netflix. I forget the guy's name right now. Oh, Aziz Ansari. Um, yes, I, I did have his name. So check out that it, check out that episode if you want to learn more about um, the intricacies of the student loan crisis. Because I, you know, I'm a casualty of that myself. And, but a lot has changed since I had student loans, you know, 20 plus years ago now. Oh, it's a hot mess. It's a hot mess and it blew my mind, but it really speaks to what Jack was saying with the healthcare industry too. So we have these huge things looming over us that don't, that are just, you know, uh, societal problems because we can't get healthcare or access to a university, yet we're paying for all of it in the process. It's just, a, a, yeah. So I think that there's going, I think that Uranus is going to help maybe in that regard, especially if it sits kind of in that ninth, eighth house zone where we're going back to loans and and money given out to another or from another and ninth house being that educational uh, body, universities, uh, legal rulings, you know, things along those lines. So foreign loans, that's China. Like, you know, I mean... But in terms of right? interpretations. Well, yes, and that's a great that's a great point too. We forget about the money that we owe everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Jack. So like honestly, I guess to sum it all up here, um, if you've if you stayed with us this long, um, <laughs> you know, I think that what I'm seeing here maybe in let me know if you see the same as I think we're going to have more aggressive stances from women still. I think the women are going to be holding it up, pushing things forward. Um, I think that our educational uh, whole structure is going to be revisited, especially in that financial realm. I also think healthcare is revisited there. These are, you know, these are always, you know, important topics, but I think that they're really going to be coming to the forefront. Um, I think foreign affairs are going to be messy. I think we're going to have aggressive trade issues going on uh, for better or for worse. Um, and I think there's a lot of topics that are going to become, come back up to be addressed, especially with Mercury retrograde. So a lot of talking heads about a lot of things we've already, you know, mulled over 5 million times. Um, essentially men and women may be at odds a little bit, or at least the principles of those two natures. Um, and probably mostly towards the head of state <laughs> as with that moon, uh, you know, opposing. Yeah. 
Absolutely. For, uh, yes. For those that are perceived to be in power. And if that lets, if that helps to motivate you uh, for your own statewide elections and legislature and your governor, then so be it too. Like, you know, like, like if you feel moved to take action on those fronts as well, uh, you know, authorities built from the ground up. So it starts with your local representatives. There we go. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jack. Oh my God, this might be the longest podcast I've ever recorded. I know. It's so funny. The Pisces retrograde Mercury <laughs> had, had us both like a little starry eyed from time to time. Like, what, wait, what are we even talking about? Um, but okay. So before we go, where can people ha- find you? You got your website up? What are you doing? Yes. So um, I, GeminiJack.com. I uh, have actually been working on this really fabulous project. So when I spoke to you last, I said I'd have a new article up by the time the episode went live. That was not true. Um, (laughs) That was not true, but I am alive and well, folks that might be looking for me online. So do look for some uh, fun stuff soon. There have just been some really awesome opportunities locally that I've been taking advantage of and participating in some wonderful fundraising events locally. So things have been busy and wonderful on... um, my end in the DC area, but I would absolutely love to chat with y'all and I can always be reached uh, via email and there should be some stuff on the website here soon, GeminiJack.com and GeminiJack at gmail.com. Nice. Well, and of course, I always put that stuff on the blog post too in case you want to get to him. But as long as you're doing fab, whatever it is you're doing, I am all about. So, (laughs) Ooh, and let's just say that there are going to be some major forays into Vedic astrology happening in the near future here just to lay some wonderful seeds. Yeah, um, as a tiddly bit in case people are wondering what I am doing, but I also think it's a major current trend amongst prominent astrologers is the, is the recent influx of people incorporating uh, traditional Western or tropical astrology with the Vedic system, mm-hmm. keeping them both separate, but integrating them. I think it's a fascinating new trend that's really catching a lot of wind with some prominent astrologers. And uh, I'm, I'm, I hope you're drinking that Kool-Aid soon here myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you partake, we'll have to definitely talk about it because we've got to find out more. So... All right. Well, where can you find me? Well, you can find me at energeticprinciples.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. And like Jack, I also do consultations. So if you want to reach out to have your chart looked at in more depth, you know that I am here. Jack is here. We're both here. You know, hit us up. Um, And also, if you would like to support the podcast via Patreon uh, and get it early, uh, you can do so at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Um, and if you feel like people need to hear more about the Aries ingress and have the patience to listen to two plus hours worth of content, <laughs> you know, share it with a friend, tell people what's going on, uh, give a nice review on iTunes. It all helps us to be seen further. Now, just a reminder, I will be taking next week off. So this podcast will not be here next week because I will be doing a little Mercury retrograde leisure of my own, especially since it's transiting my fifth house. I thought, why not? But I will be back, don't worry, uh, on April Fool's Day. (laughs) So wait for me then. So, all right, Jack, thank you so much for joining me for, you know, I don't know what time, how many times it's been, but I always enjoy you being here. Five. I'm in count, girl. It's five. We can now high five the number oh, of high five. <laughs> high five. It's funny because oh. 
because this is episode 45, which is nice. funny because that's the president's. Ooh, that's so Venusian. Eight yeah. times five. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, all right. So until we meet again, because I know we will, uh, I will bid you adieu. But for those listeners, you know, I thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and as always, may the stars be with you. Mm-hmm.